Hello everybody, and welcome back to another episode of At The Movies with William Fletcher. As per usual, I am your host, William Fletcher. And unfortunately, Harry was is unable to uh, join me for this week's episode. He's very busy, and is unable to uh, join me. But I am joined by another person, a very special guest, who I asked about eight months, seven months ago, whenever I asked. To, to back in March, however long ago that was now, join me for this one. Uh, he's never been on the show before, uh, Mr. Sasha Wheatley. Hello, I'm very excited to be here. Um, love all these, well, I love most of these films. There's one in particular which I'm not really that big on. Yes, this is, this is if you didn't listen to last week's episode for some reason, um, or like the last episode, uh, this is talking about David Fincher's filmography to tie into the release of The Killer, which will be coming out this week on Netflix. Um, and so we covered the first sort of six films of his filmography with uh, Alien Cubed, Devin, The Game, Fight Club, Panic Room, and Zodiac. And we're concluding with The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Social Network, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, and Mank. That's what we're going to be discussing on uh, this week's episode. So, yeah, and by the way, just if Sasha sounds a bit weird at any point, Sasha's in a very in a completely different country on the other side of the planet, so it might be... <laughs> hopefully it's all good, though. Hopefully. Um, so, Sasha, do you have, like, sort of any general... Well, actually, before we even get into David Fincher, what is, like, so sort of for the listeners, what's, like, your gen... Like, would you be able to, like, describe your general, like, taste in films and your sort of, like, favourite films, that kind of thing, just as a... Um... Okay. Yeah. Um... Yeah, introductory thing, I guess. <laughs> I think I think I have quite a varied taste. I don't really think there's one specific thing kind of all over the place but I, I do like a period piece i am that person i do love a period piece anything with women which i i wish was kind of a joke um that if there's female lead character i probably would enjoy it more than if it was a male lead character favorite films my, my favorite film is carol <laughs> um i love my favorite fincher films i mean we'll get into this but are the female-centric films rather than more like the film bro favourites. I do like a thriller, though. I do love a mystery, which is why we like Fincher. Um, I think maybe that surprises some people with my taste, but I do really like Fincher as a director. I think it kind of gets lumped together maybe a bit with Nolan and Tarantino, you know, coming up in the 90s. Both yeah. kind of, all of them kind of get... Um, I don't think it's very fair tag, but kind of get labeled as like film bro favorites. Um, yeah. I would say I respond to Fincher more than those two, at yeah. least. But um, yeah, I I do think I like um, female sensibilities in films. My favorite director is Todd Haynes, um, and his genre is basically actresses actressing. So. Yeah, as I mentioned in the last episode, I put David Fincher as my favorite filmmaker, just ever. I I would say so. I'm thinking about other directors I'd like, and I think Fincher. The thing is, with Fincher, now that I've watched like all his films, 
is that even if I don't love all of his films, I think his direction is fantastic in like pretty much everything he's ever made. Yeah. Bar like Alien Cubed. But that I, I mean, <laughs> he is the credited director, but I don't really count it because the studios were, were fucked around with that one, so I don't I don't wanna yeah. like but it is technically one of his films, so I do have to count it. But I, yeah. I think Fincher and yeah, he's sort of a, a film bro favorite, but and I and I find that very. I mean, I get, I've talked about the the term film bro on the show before, and my sort of dislike for it because I do think it's a misused term in the sure. sense of like I do agree that there are like I go on like I scroll through like Instagram reels and they're the that is like check out all these movies and it's literally just Inception, Dark Knight, Pulp <laughs> Fiction. You know, it's 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 you yeah. know. Nolan, Tarantino, you know, Scorsese, Finch has got a couple films, mm. you know, it, it's like these, and, you know, and I, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, I think though, you know, most of those films are really great. Uh, it's just that in, you know, sort of a general sense, there's, there's just, there's more films, like. Yeah, they're, they're very, that, you know. Very popular with a certain audience, and I think it does apply more to Nolan than Fincher. Like, I think Fincher's mm-hmm. films to, to label them as film pro, and I mean, film pro doesn't have to be, but I think it has become seen as a negative. It doesn't have to be a negative term. Film bros aren't, yeah, you know, incels. Um, but I think <laughs> <laughs> well, film bro, there's nothing wrong with being a film bro. I feel like it's become no, such I... a negative term. I yeah. do think it's a limiting term. I mean, two of the films we're talking about today, uh, yeah. they have two iconic female characters. Benjamin Button isn't very... I wouldn't really classify that as a film bro classic. No. Even Fight Club. I mean, I've never seen Fight Club. That's, like, one of my biggest blind spots. Oh, never... that's a big miss. I know, I know. Um, and I haven't seen Alien 3, but I don't, I don't really think that's... You're not missing funny. much. You are really not <laughs> um, missing much. I do need to see Fight Club, but even Fight Club, obviously, it's this deconstruction of masculinity. So even then, it feels yeah. a bit and capitalism kind of... as well. Like it's a, yeah, exactly. Version, it's a big deconstruction, and it's a misinterpreting. Yeah. Film. yeah, and I think yeah, film bro. Like often when people start getting into films, those are probably going to be the films that a lot of people mm-hmm. watch when they first start watching them because they're just like the films you know, like Fight Club. Everybody knows what Fight Club is, you know, stuff, Taxi Driver, you yeah. know, The Shine, Pulp Fiction, you know, these are the like, films people know. So obviously when you get into film, most are going to watch those first because like, well, I've heard about this great film, I should watch it, you know. But I, and I do think some people sort of don't get out of that sort of mindset of yeah. like, they sort of eat, like those films and they don't really want to... Um, and they, they have permeated our culture... Right, like yeah. they're very prevalent in our culture, um, and for the most part, they're very good. Though I would push back against The Shining being good because that's a terrible <laughs> one, but that's that's for another day. Uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be a bad thing, and Fincher is a great director, regardless. I don't think I yeah. would classify him as one of my personal favorites, even though I think probably three or four of his films I would put in, I would include in like a list of my favorite films. Um, just because mm-hmm. I don't really think I have a personal connection with any of his films, but I do really like him as a director, and yeah. I don't think he's made a bad film. Well, maybe one today, 
but we'll get on yeah. to that. I, I guess to sort of get into uh, the discussion, starting off with the curious case of Benjamin Button, which is <laughs> one of the, the the few, which is one of the three Fincher films I hadn't seen prior to this. I hadn't seen Panic Room, Benjamin Button, or The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. So that's just sort of where I come in on that. Uh, but yeah, Benjamin Button, I watched it yesterday. Uh, or does it say? I watched it fairly recently for the purposes of this, and um, yeah, I I like it, but I would say it's one of the weakest Fincher films. Like, I to, to be honest, like, like I, I I like it. I just am like, is there meant to be another level to this? this it does just feel a little meaningless at the end um you're not really sure what to take away from it because you know this was like a big oscars contender you know it got nominated for like everything under the sun when it came out and um i don't know it just comparatively to fincher because we're going to talk about the social network which is also a fincher oscar you know heavy hitter Mm. you know getting in in loads of categories I mean, I think the social network is quite a bit better. And I just, <laughs> I found, you know, I, I did find Benjamin Button, I did find a bit of it boring. And I was sort of like, at a certain point, I was like, okay, why is this so long? Like, it's near, it's it's close to three hours. And I yeah. don't think it needs to be. I think you could cut it down. And, and it would like it's it would based, be better. It's based on a short story as well. So it's they've taken a short story and they've turned it into a three-hour film. So it's quite task. Um, and I do think it's a film where it's very preoccupied with the concept. But is there anything kind mm. of going on more than the concept? You, you kind of you know the novelty of the concept wears off after seeing CGI and baby. Brad Pitt, a couple of minutes. Um, I just think this film is genuinely insane. I think we need to talk about how weird this film is. Um, like, <laughs> obviously, there's the, there's the concept, but there's so many things going on here, which I'm just a bit like, what? What is this? Mm. Um, I understand why it's so long, because, it, it, you know, it's playing the story of his life, but his life isn't interesting. His life isn't... Like, Forrest Gump, I hate Forrest Gump so much. Uh, that's got that's got a charm thank to god, it. He thank ends god it. Harry's here because you would get into a because Harry loves because my usual story oh. is a big Forrest Gump. We I did an episode on Forrest Gump and it was just me saying like, yeah, it's not that good, is it though? Like, I don't think it is. Go listen back to Listen's my Forrest in. Gump episode because I'm not a big fan. Okay. I I'm probably the biggest Forrest Gump hater. Um, and I, I don't think Benjamin Button is as bad as Forrest Gump because David Fincher is a better director than Robert Zemeckis. But um, it has. I do also prefer but... Benjamin Button to Forrest Gump. Okay, yeah, I, I think it hasn't. It's Forrest Gump is very, um, very positive, isn't it? It's got that charm, and this has more like a, um, a melancholic feel. It, it's yeah. more like some very beautiful moments, but it's kind of a very sad film. Um, yeah. First of all, I just don't understand why it's why we open with old lady Kate Blanche. I don't actually think it is Kate Blanche. Yet. I 
in her. Nah, it's terrible. It, I think it's another actress. Yeah. It really um, doesn't look like her. Like, because even when it's like, <laughs> it's like old, like you can tell, like, oh, that's just Brad Pitt under a load of makeup. But it doesn't. Yeah, it does not look like Kate Blanchett at all. I was like, no. But I don't understand why why it's taking place in Hurricane Katrina. It feels a little bit emotionally manipulative that the fact that we're in Hurricane Katrina, and then she just tells her daughter, who for some reason looks exactly like Juliet Binoche in this. I don't know, but it really bothered me because I was like, what? Why is Juliet Binoche here? Anyway, she just says, oh, can you read me Benjamin Button's diary? And the daughter obliges and reads like his entire life story. I hate the framing device. I think it's mm. so it's so convenient and it's very unimaginative. And then I, don't, I just don't understand why it's taking place with Hurricane Katrina in the background. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, yeah, I, I don't the... really get. Is that meant to be saying something? Because I was like, okay, this is interesting, but it doesn't really mean anything. It never impacts. really there's not even there's not even like a big scene where it's all hurricane katrina destroys everything like that's the flood at the very end spoiler but um i mean i talk spoilers yeah that's fine if you haven't seen any of these films gonna spoil spoiling everything like i I say this all the time but literally if you've not seen these films we're gonna spoil it (laughs) just in every episode so just you were warned yeah uh, well, there, there's a flood at the very end of, like, the basement where the clock is, which, you know, kind of becomes, like, a symbol yeah. of Benjamin, but whatever. But that's it. There's not really any big... She just closes her eyes, and it's like, good night, Benjamin, and then it's implied she dies. There's nothing... There's no reason why Hurricane Katrina's going on. And then I read about something about how it could be a metaphor for the impermanence of... Life, and I just thought, really? Is that what we're doing here? I don't know. I just, yeah, I think it's very convenient. I think it's a little bit emotionally manipulative. I guess because it's in New Orleans, but um, it doesn't still, necessarily. It it doesn't. It doesn't specify. You know, it n- yeah, and it's also just like, so is it trying to say something? Like I don't like. Is this saying something, or is it like? Is or did was it? They just think you know what would be interesting if this was taking place during Hurricane Katrina. For yeah, I don't know if it was just because the timelines matched up and they thought, oh, he's you know eighty now. Let's just make it in Hurricane. Hurricane Let's just connect it to this. (laughs) But it's not in the short story, so they they did just add. Well, the short story I looked it up was written in like nineteen twenty, like it's it's very old, like it's. Yeah. So it it's not even like that was there in the original. It's, it's bizarre. And also, I think it's you know funny that we are talking making comparisons to Forrest Gump. I think the other comparison made is Big Fish. I have never watched Big Fish, so I don't know. But it is funny that it is written by Eric Roth, who also mm. wrote um, Forrest Gump. And I just I don't really understand why Eric Roth is such a legend in the industry. Um, I want to look I mean, at his I, filmography now, just to because I I saw that well, he when, wrote. Yeah, well, when June came out, people thought were like, "Oh, it's going to get an Oscar nomination because Eric Ross, a writing legend, he's written did Killers of the Flower Moon," right? I think. Yeah, he wrote Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, with um, Scorsese. But yeah. I'm not I'm not a fan of Forrest Gump, which he wrote. I don't think A Star Is Born is very well written, which he wrote. 
Um, I don't think Benjamin Button is very well written, which he wrote. Um, so yeah, I'm not really a big Eric Roth person. Um, he also wrote incredi- extremely loud and incredibly oh. close, which well, <laughs> I know film. got. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never <laughs> seen it, but I just know it was inexplicably an Oscar-nominated film, even though it was universally is... hated. And... Um, so yeah, Brad Pitt. I mean, we touched on I've touched on in the last episode. One, I talked talked about Brad Pitt and Fight Club, and how I would put that as probably my favorite performance of his career. And how much yeah. you know, I think Brad Pitt's a very he's a very good talent. I just don't like. I don't think he's like the most amazing actor ever, but I think he is very no. capable of very good performances. I don't think this is it though. I don't think this is the performance I'm like, oh, this is a good Brad Pitt performance. You know, he's like, it's he's fine. I just am like, this is... Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. yeah. It, um, and like you were saying, if you're, if you're looking for a classically trained actor who's, you know, in, got impeccable technique, Brad Pitt isn't your guy, but he does mm. have that charisma, he does have that stage presence, whatever, blah, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Screen presence, not stage presence. Um, but yeah, I don't think Benjamin Button plays his strengths as an actor at all. I think it I, is because... It's too nuanced to... I don't know. Maybe... I don't know. I don't think Benjamin Button's very nuanced as a character. I think he's very empty. I think he's very dull and bland. I, like, mm. things just happen to him. He has no sense of agency or urgency. He's almost a passive protagonist. Exactly. Like, Daisy, I, I think Daisy's not a very nice person, but at least she's giving something. Benjamin Button just walks around and things happen to him. People talk about themselves to him. He never does anything actively. And that yeah. affects Pitt's performance because there's not really much he can do. I think he's probably Oscar nominated because of the uniqueness, the novelty attached to his performance. You know, he's playing a man at so many different ages. Um, mm. And I think the makeup holds up pretty well. 2023. I think um, the makeup is very good. I will give the film that. Like makeup wise, yeah. it looks very good and i was expecting it to have aged a bit because that you know 2008 this came out but i actually think yeah it has yeah aged very well actually i i think it looks very impressive like it's like it's obviously like oh it's just brad pitt but it's like it's still very good makeup you know um accomplished work um but no i don't think he needed an oscar nomination at all i don't think it's even a performance, but when you think of Brad Pitt, yeah, you think of some of his cult classic performances. If you're going to think of maybe more recent performances, you might gravitate more towards Moneyball, Prime Time mm. Hollywood, whatever. I don't think anybody's thinking, oh, Benjamin Button, that was the peak of his. No, that's n- no one's ever going to be like, you know what the best Brad Pitt performance is? <laughs> Benjamin, but like, no one's ever going to go for yeah. that one. It, it, for most people, it probably wouldn't even make top. No. Brad Pitt performances for like most people they'd be like you know it would maybe like top 15 or top 20 maybe but it's like top 10 he's not it's not gonna no one's gonna really sing the praises of that you know it's fine but he's because I find uh, the, I would... the concept of it of the whole aging backwards interesting it's just the mm. film's a bit dull at times and I do it, like it, it but it's just like 
yeah. does feel quite um sterile sterile and it just hops from you know timeline to timeline and i do you know i keep saying this but i do think the main issue is he's very boring like even when he has an affair with Tilda Swinton's character it's just her talking at him and there came a point where I, where I felt you know when he sees her on tv crossing the channel when she's an old lady I thought can we just can we have Tilda Swinton's naiad please instead of this because that's just so much more interesting than whatever we're watching this is so um what do you think of the other performances Tilda Kate um Til- Kate I love Kate Blanchett as an actor. I think she's a wonderful talent. She doesn't really do any like I just was like okay, I know Kate Blanchett's capable of more than, like you know, she's capable of more, I think. You know, this isn't really like you know, and I yeah, I'm a big Kate Blanchett. You know, I've seen it like Tar for example, one of the best performances last year. Thought she was really incredible on that, you know. I've seen her in a lot of things. And I was just like, she's fine. No, no again, nobody's going to be thinking Kate Blanchett's best performance is Benjamin Button. Nobody's going to be saying yeah. Tilda Swinton's best performance is Benjamin Button. I mean, Tilda Swinton's hardly in it. I think she's very good in the scene she's in. Um, yeah, she's not in it that much at all. No, she's, she's literally in those, like, five scenes of them going on dates in Russia, and then she just mm-hmm. leaves. Um... Kate Blanchett, I agree. I don't think this is particularly challenging work. She is just a love interest. I think her accent's a bit overdone. I don't really care about accents that much. Um, yeah, there's really not much for her to sink her teeth into. Mm. I really do not like Daisy as a character. And I think it's it's so funny that Daisy, the only time Daisy actually begins a relationship with him is when he's like peak Brad Pitt hotness, when he's like... <laughs> Like a thirty-year-old, it's like okay. Yeah. So now you're gonna start a relationship with him. Yeah. Now, right? Yeah. Looking like an Abercrombie model. Um, yeah. You know what is yeah. so weird about this film that Taraji B Henson was Oscar nominated. I know, for... I know, and I, you know, in in a way, I'm like, okay, that's nice, that's cute. Like she's a very cute, warm presence in this. Um. Now that you remember her in it, like, though. No, she she has the first couple of, you know, scenes when she's raising him, and then she's kind of relegated to him coming home and her just, like, getting older, and that's really it. There's not really a big scene. I don't think she's an Oscar nomination for this. I think she's the weakest in her lineup that year. She doesn't need... Not, I'm, you know, I'm happy that Taraji P. Henson's an Oscar nominee, but... Don't really need this, and also Mahershala Ali just like randomly being in this film, and I think it's his film debut, and it's just that's another thing which is just so random. Yeah, it's his, like, he'd done a couple of other things before, but they weren't like features. Like okay. he'd acted in like a couple, I think like short films or something, but this was his like feature day feature film debut. So that's just so random, um, and I mean he doesn't do anything noteworthy. He's fine as well. Um, yeah, she didn't. She didn't need an Oscar nomination. Neither did Brad Pitt. Um, yeah, no, Brad Pitt. I mean, it, it, yeah, it did not need probably nine or ten of those thirteen nominations. I can see why. Obviously, the makeup, yep, um, production design, sure. Even the cinema. I don't know. The cinematography, I, I felt 
like it was very beautiful in some scenes but there were some scenes on the boat in the seas where I felt like it was getting a bit like I genuinely felt like I was watching the Polar Express it was a bit oh this is a bit and then the second half when you know they begin their relationship and there's a string of romantic scenes when they're swimming and stuff in these lakes and oceans it genuinely looked like a commercial to me I didn't think it was mm-hmm. like that scene when Kate's with the blue water I thought what is, is this a commercial and then there's the scene with them painting around the house where it genuinely felt like it was a gap ad felt or something it's just very strange I don't really you know I think there's some really beautiful scenes but I'm not really a fan of Claudia Miranda as a whole, so maybe that's why. Um, um, this film also, it doesn't really feel like a David Fincher film either. No. Like, no. all the others, I'm like, oh, this is a Fincher, like, it's got his fingerprints all over it. And this one's like, if I didn't know David Fincher directed this, I wouldn't have even picked up that this was, like, a film he might no. have directed. Because it really does not feel like one of his films. Which Not at all is maybe a sign of good direction that, like, it's, you know, I, I think it is a well-directed movie, but I'm just like, it's yeah. not really a Fincher movie. You know, it's not a film like, oh, Fincher. Then, you know, it's not. And it's not even just because it's because of its genre. Like, I think in Mank, you can still feel like it's a Finch film because it's it's got his humour, it's got his wit all over it. Mm. This, this isn't funny. This isn't... It's not got, no. you know, the, it's also quite clunky. I think what really struck me watching Social Network, Gone Girl, Dragon Tattoo, is they run so smoothly, they're edited immaculately, they, you know, really feel the runtime. This one is just very clunky, it doesn't, it is, it is um, nihilistic, it is quite fatalistic and cynical in a way, like those mm. films, but it, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have his um vision all over and i'm just very confused why he chose to make it. i don't really understand what attracted him to this project it feels like the antithesis of what fincher's sensibilities are um yeah strange choice yeah i, I mean i don't really have a whole lot to say on benjamin you know i i i thought the last 20 minutes or so were really nice and sort of like okay this it sort of made it all the film sort of worth it for me but i don't see myself ever watching this again unless i'm doing like a whole fincher rewatch because i have no interest in watching it again and i think my score might be a bit generous what what did you end up giving it I gave it a, and I cannot stress this enough, this is so very much on the precipice of being a 7, but I gave it a very weak 8. Oh, really? Because like, I, I, the last 20 minutes or so, I was like, okay, that's really nice. Because it was sort of sitting at like a 7 out of 10 for the most part, and then the ending was like, oh, that was nice, I like that. So it's a weak 8, but it's, it's one, it's like bottom tier Fincher, like it's like his third weakest film for me i think that yeah third i'd I'd probably say panic room and alien cubed or worse i i did i did not dislike it to stress to stress i i don't dislike i don't think it's a bad film i think i gave it a five maybe a six i know i think a five um Mm. which maybe sounds low but that for me is you know definition of mixed which is what i am i think five Um, is about is is like the precipice before it starts to become a bad like a low five is like what film starts to become bad Um, yeah i don't think it's 
acted. I mean, I think there's some bad scenes, but I don't think it's a bad film. And I admire kind of there. There is a part of it where it does feel like this really grand epic romance, which spanned three hours, but it never really gets there. And there's some really beautiful moments, um, which you know I responded to, and I I respect the. Because I think this was very talked about when it came out. I remember being aware of it. I think it made a lot of money and it, the technology and everything to do with that. So I admire, you know, um, the use of the technology and all the crafts going into this. But no, I think at five, sorry, I really cannot stress how much I dislike the framing device of Hurricane Katrina. I don't find him entertaining as a character. I don't enjoy playing him. And I don't think he has chemistry with Daisy. And I don't think he has chemistry with Tilda Swinton. And I kind of, I can kind of excuse the Tilda Swinton because it's very much, you can tell she's very lonely. It's the first person kind of who um, will listen to her, basically. Um, it's not, you know, some grand romance. But with Daisy, I didn't really feel the connection. Um, mm. I did find it funny when you're first introduced to Daisy. I mean, it's not that she's attracted to him, but she's supposed to be very kind like not attracted but won over by him it's this seven-year-old daisy yeah. and this like eight-year-old and it's just yeah it's just a bit laughable um and for as for the final 20 minutes they didn't really work for me as much because i felt like decision to use another actor completely and it came okay, maybe the technology limited them here but i felt mm-hmm. like if you've used brad pitt for all this and you've aged him up to an 80 year old may as well commit to Brad Pitt at the end. It just felt like, oh, it's a different person at this point because they're using a child actor. And I get, like, the technology, maybe it wasn't feasible. Um, yeah. No, I, I can see how that was emotionally resonant. For me, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, no, but, I totally get that. No, I, yeah, there's not really much to say. Like, I think it's okay. Um, crafts-wise, there's things to admire. There's some really beautiful moments. Um and yeah it's 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 probably my least favorite adventure i'm not sure i think i would probably put it last all right so moving on to the social network and this is a a film that could have an entire episode dedicating to just this one film like yeah it's great what can i like wow i love the social network what uh what a surprise this movie that everybody loves i love it you know what a I mean, unless it's actually because I've 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 said this off recording to other people. Like, if I like a film, I'm just gonna assume Sasha doesn't like it because that <laughs> happens. Like, I, I, yeah. I when I saw Life Is Beautiful, I was like, oh, that's right. I know Sasha doesn't like this one. Oh my god, we'll surprise people and say that I really like the social. I feel like this is such a film that everybody claims I'm just saying it was fine but no, I really like the Social Network. Great film. I agree. It's it's very. I found this the most difficult film to talk about coming into this i feel like mm. i have kind of more of a connection to some films films we're going to talk about later um and benjamin button is easier to kind of critique the social networks mm. is great um not really anything else to add to that it's pretty much a perfect movie um it's got that timeless quality to it and which is which is kind of funny because whenever I watch it, I I feel like it kind of transports me back to that 2010 vibe, but it's it's not dated at all. It's it's no. timeless. 
um yeah. it's it is about facebook but it's about so much more it's it feels very shakespearean some of its presentation of its themes you know the cost of obtaining power um yeah things like that i think people really i'm not as big on the score as others are but i can i yeah I'm a, I'm a big fan of the score i think the score is yeah. really I, I think the score is yeah, very well. good i just prefer some of other collaborations um and the mm. editing i think is it is one of the best edited films of mm. the past decade i think if you had to single out one element what would you would you single out the screenplay or would it be i think yeah i've talked to people about this before and uh i think i think you disagree i think you'll disagree with me but i think aaron sorkin is a really great writer for the most part um i think in sort of more recent years there's been a bit of a a tur- people starting to turn on aaron sorkin as a writer yeah. and i to be fair being the ricardos isn't that great like it's not it's, it's also fine. not that bad it's not terrible i don't think it's a bad film but yeah. i don't think it's as great as i'm used to you know i i did really like trial of chicago 7 which i imagine you didn't like maybe no not really a huge trial yeah. fan but i, I um, uh, um i i'm kind of a ricardo's defender maybe that's just nicole kidman um but, but um i aaron Sorkin's not one of my favorite writers but I, I do get the appeal with him i think um sometimes you know he's got that very like spitball highly intelligent um way of like his character speaking and sometimes it does yeah. feel a bit contrived but what he managed to do is he you know he selects characters where it kind of fits that they would speak like yeah. that and i think this is why it works but i don't have any complaints about the social network screenplay it mm. fits perfectly that mark zuckerberg would talk like that you know it's not yeah. so, of who on earth talks like this it's mark zuckerberg like okay yeah exactly i, I can yeah i think the opening scene you know the conversation between jesse eisenberg and rooney mara epic way of starting film i think that's probably my favorite scene in the entire movie and it sets the tone for, you know for this for the entire film so well um yeah and it gives you like a real glimpse of what the screenplay it's kind of it shows off the best parts of the screenplay in that opening scene um mm-hmm. and i think the best is sorkin as a writer um yeah but no i i i would single out the screenplay i think is the thing that i really i take. think yeah yeah um you know, but I think this is still like a very well directed movie. It's a shame oh, sure. Fincher didn't win the Oscar for this. Like, yeah. I, look, I haven't seen the King's Speech. I can't I say like it didn't deserve it, but like, you, you can on, probably I'm, guess that. Yeah. There's no way Fincher I... didn't deserve an Oscar for that. Like, it, it's if it didn't win Pitch or whatever, just. Can I just wish like Fincher had an Oscar now? Because he should have had one by now. Like he should have gotten an Oscar yeah. win at some point. And it's like Although, I don't think he ever will, to be honest. I think his time has passed, and I don't think he's gonna win. I'm like, I don't know. I or I don't see a realm where he wins. If he's not winning for Mank or Benjamin Button, and then he's yeah. not winning for 
like the acclaimed film of the year, the social network. Yeah. Then it is like, hard to see him. And the reference, like, best of the day to some social network, you know, retrospectively. Yeah. You know. And it's also not even, it's not even like the social network was the most acclaimed film of the year and it was like a critic. Like, it's very easy to digest, to digest and it came so close and it still didn't win. Yeah. So, and obviously he's a director, so that means he's not going to win his like for screenplay or whatever it yeah. limits his options yeah exactly um, he's a director i wouldn't he's give first. him oh he's not really he's not right at all yeah no i wouldn't give him director though for this um mm. but i do would, agree who would you have given it to, would you have given it to i'm trying to think of what came out that year well it pains he, me to say considering he made the whale but i would give it yeah to I, was gonna, I was gonna say it's a black swat black because i that <laughs> yeah. seems like a film you like I mean, I like it too. Black Swan is very good. I prefer Black Swan to this, but I do think The Social Network is more... It's probably the better film. Like, Black Swan's kind of trash. Like, in a good way. Like, I think, like, a trashy masterpiece against Tom Hooper, like, he definitely did deserve to win. Uh, Yeah, he did deserve to win over Tom Hooper. I agree that it's incredibly well-directed. I know we've spoken about the screenplay... Um, singled that out, but it is an incredibly well-directed film. I think it really plays into Fincher's sensibilities. Um, I think Fincher's at his his best, where he manages to mix um, his dark humour into these stories, which is what he does so well in The Social Network. Again, there's a lot of very funny scenes in The Social Network. I also love the cinematography in this. I love the colour palettes being used. Yeah. I think, like, this is a... For a film that's, like, it's the Facebook movie, essentially, but it's so incredibly well put together. Like, again, we'd be... T- you know, cinematography, I think, is great. You know, screenplay, you know, I... Again, I I wouldn't put Aaron Zorgan as, like, one of my favourite all-time writers, but I think, you know, he's a very, very good writer, and I think, you know, his scripts are very written, which... I can definitely see why that doesn't necessarily appeal to everyone, but I think it works in the yeah. social network. The social network yeah. is a, is a these perfect example yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, I guess to sort of talk, move on to sort of the acting as well, uh, Jesse Eisenberg, you know, very... Look, I think Jesse Eisenberg's good in this, but I also think it's not the most difficult role, necessarily. Like, I, I don't know if I've talked about this on here before, but you know, I think it's easy to play sort of emotionless characters on screen. You know, I, I think it's not to say it can't be great acting, but it's like it's not as difficult, or at least I don't think it's as difficult necessarily. No, no, I I agree. Um, I think I can see why when it first came out, just that this was kind of like Jesse Eisenberg's first major role, right, if I'm correct. Um, so I can see. Yeah, why it was he'd been in of... Zombieland before this, and pro- I think okay. it was a couple of other but this was... this was like his. Yeah, and I I can it's see a... why everybody was so excited about the performance, but I think it's one of those where as it's gone on, he kind of you realise mm, he was kind of he is playing Mark Zuckerberg, but he is kind of Jesse Eisenberg in this still, and in his like other yeah. performances since then, quite similar and. It's tough to like, kind of separate where Jesse Eisenberg yeah. leaves. So I'm just looking at his life. filmography. Yeah. So I didn't heard, I haven't heard of most of this, but he he was in the M Night Shyamalan film The Village. 
and he'd also yeah, done Zombie Land, and then this was like his, this was his big First. thing though, like that he did. Yeah. Um, um, but no, I, I do think he's very good. He nails, um, you know, Sorkin's dialogue. Um, he, I do think there's a couple of opportunities where he doesn't really um uncover like the vulnerability and isolation of Zuckerberg in some scenes where mm-hmm. I feel like maybe another actor could do that. Instead you do kind of get a very singular portrait. And there definitely there are scenes where you see like you see more sides to him, but I think that's more to do with how he's directed rather than his actual performance. But it's a very good performance. I don't think it's you know, I think some people would say, oh, he deserved to win over Colin Firth. I mean, I prefer Colin Firth, but I don't really think either of them are legendary performances or anything. I think, yeah. you know, an Oscar nomination feels about right for him. Mm. Um, yeah. What do you think about the rest of the cast? Uh, well, we've got Andrew Garfield, and I've sung his praises many times on this show before. I think Andrew Garfield is... Uh, and a, a very very good talent, and like we mentioned with Black Swan earlier, he, you know how Mila Kunis deserve should have been Oscar nominated for that. I stand by that. Um, I think Andrew Garfield should have been Oscar nominated for The Social Network. It's probably my favorite performance of his. Like, and I've seen him do give really really great performances. I think he's a very a very good actor. I, I've never seen Andrew Garfield in something where I didn't think he was good. You know, even if the film wasn't like that great, I always, I always think like, yeah, he's a very, he's good at the very least. I like on Andrew Garfield in this too. I'm not as, you know, I think it's a common thing when people look back on this year, they're like, oh, how is he not nominated? But I do mm-hmm. think looking at the field, he deserves nomination over quite a few of them, including winner. But um. <laughs> I'm not as big on his performance as others. I think it really comes down to that one big scene, right? You know, oh, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, fuck you, flip flops. So... Which I, yeah. I love that scene. <laughs> like I can't, yeah, but then I don't love the scene. No, it's, it's a great scene. scene. It's a great scene, but sometimes for me, if I ignore that scene, I don't really, there's not really anything else in his performance where I'm like, mm, you know, that was incredible. But I think he's very good. Don't get me wrong. Um, mm. And even in that scene, it is a very iconic scene, but I don't necessarily think it's kind of that one scene. You know, there's a couple of scenes that an actor has and you're just like, okay, you know, give them give them the award for that. It's not necessarily like yeah. that for me. But I think he's, like, good throughout. I think the entire cast is very strong, apart from one person, mm-hmm. um, Justin Timberlake. I find him just very oh, distracting. Okay. I don't think it he's was... necessarily bad, but I just think he's very distracting was... in this. I remember when I watched... It, the first time I was like, oh, Justin Timberlake is in this. Yeah, because this uh. was back when he was, you know, pushing the acting career. And yeah, um, like, I think it's so. Not what I'm used to from him. I think it's really ballsy that he was. Like, I just love Finch's casting of mm. actors, like, to, to have this film and then cast basically a bunch of unknowns. I know Andrew Garfield had um, Never Let Me Go, I think, before this. Uh, that was you know, the same year, but yeah, the same year. So he wasn't, you know, he wasn't really like the hot property or whatever. He was, he wasn't that yeah. well known. Um, and then also to cast like Justin Timberlake, this you know massive pop star, also in this. Um, mm-hmm. You just have to applaud 
his casting and then obviously discovering Rooney Mara in this, who I think is very good in her few three scenes she has. Really love the opening scene with her and Eisenberg. Yeah, you're um, a big Rooney Mara fan. I've I am gathered. a big Rooney Mara. I am a big Rooney Mara fan. I'm not saying like she deserves awards for this, don't get me wrong, but she, she I think she's very good in this. <laughs> um, no, I I think she's very good in her scenes. Um, and I was just going to mention Brenda Song being in this. I found it so funny that London Tipton is in like the most acclaimed mm. film of the year. Um, yeah, that's just very funny to me. And I I enjoy her scene when she sets it on fire and then Ricardo. Yes, yeah. very funny scene. Which which is what I was saying earlier. I was saying it's Social Network is very funny, and that's kind of Fincher at his mm. best when he can mix all these yeah. themes of intellectual property, isolation, betrayal. Um, power etc etc but also with you know an underbelly of humor to it um mm. and i think army hammer army hammer talking about army hammer in 2023 but i think he's <laughs> well cast here i don't think he's very good like i don't i'm not saying that he's a very good performance but i think he's perfectly cast he's got you know that waspy energy privileged crappy yeah to him i found it quite distracting you know the cgi with the yeah um, well because at first i, I was like how did i thought he had like a i don't know a brother or Twin. something and i was like yeah yeah also, i thought it was like oh that's he'd be wow it's really close and then right after it's like oh it's literally just him I'm like huh that is an interesting decision because because nowadays I mean, that, it would be. I feel like it would be a lot easier to do that with just the advancements in CGI. I think. Sorry, just to like round off with social network. I think it's very interesting seeing how Fincher just to as a Fincher retrospective, just to you know end with um, a focus on his direction. I think it's very interesting that he kind of applies his um, approach to thrillers with this. You know, it's a story about Facebook, but you have all these. Um, cuts like very fast-paced cuts like you would think this was an action film or something and yeah. it's literally just about the creation of facebook you have some really moody cinematography which shoots harvard like it's it, it's just a very unique way of looking at it like it's a university but it's shot in such a moody way which also i think gives it this kind of nostalgic feel to it um and so I think he really captures the like the he really plays with light and darkness in this, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, like it's a film about Facebook, but he does so much with it, and he applies kind of elements of thriller and noir and noir to this. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a film about Facebook, but that's why it's so good. I I don't like I I can't really fault like it's it's a, it's a great movie like I. Um, I find the poster to be a bit strange, though. The whole like, oh, to make what is it? It's like if you want to make oh, you, you, you don't get to five like five million friends without making en- some enemies or something, whatever it is. That yeah, one. I'm not sure. I don't. I'm not the biggest fan of that, to be honest. But no, I I agree. I have no, I have no notes. I have no criticisms, um, except. Like that slight critique of Jesse Eisenberg's performance. I think, yeah, it's pretty much a perfect film. It's just I'm more attached to some other Fincher films, which is why it isn't my personal yeah. favourite. But I mean, it's not my favourite Fincher either. Um, it really? 
no. No Fight Club, right? Yeah, I know. It's what um, a what a boring choice. Um, I give it ten. I didn't give it a yeah, ten. I, I give it a nine, but that's a nine. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. That's pretty good. So following on from the social network, a year later, he released The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which was the last Fincher film I had I hadn't seen, and I literally rewatched it like an like ten minutes before we started recording. So yeah, it's very fresh in the mind. Um I I did like it. I didn't quite love it though. I thought there was a lot about it that I did really like. And there was some of it that I was not as big of a fan of. Well, I'm glad. I think we have very different opinions on this, which I'm glad because I felt like we had quite similar thoughts on the other two. But um, I yeah, love this right. film. This is one of my favourite films of all time. I prefer, it, I prefer it to the social. Yeah. Is it my is it favorite, favorite Fincher? Fincher? It isn't. It no. isn't. Okay. No, I feel cool. I feel like my favorite Finch is very obvious. Yeah. So, um, no, I really I really love this. I disagree with it being too long. I think okay. this film is edited perfectly. I think the editing's even better here than it is in Dragon Tattoo and in the Social Network. I think this film is so perfectly stitched together. The intersecting timelines. I think it. F- flows seamlessly i think it's moods constantly i don't think there's any lags and pacing at all um and i think it really warrants its run time because you know it's a very very simple crime drama right but the crime isn't that interesting if like if we're on it it's not interesting it's also very obvious who the murderer is just from the casting like Mm -hmm. There's only we're only given a couple of suspects, right? And we already know from those suspects that it can only be like three of them because we know it's a man. And yeah. who who's it going to be? Oh, I think it's probably going to be the one who's got the most notable actor, Stellan Skarsgård, right? Yeah. Um, and even I don't even think Fincher makes much of an attempt to conceal that even early on when he when mm-hmm. Daniel Craig pinning up um, like the pictures of the family on the wall. The the camera only focuses on Christopher Plummer and then Stan Skarsgård's character Martin, who's the murderer. Mm-hmm. So like I don't I don't that's not really the point of the film. Like it's a very simple crime mystery, and it it doesn't really matter who did it as such. Mm-hmm. Like it's not really a great reveal, is it? It's not really. Yeah. Oh my God, I had no idea Martin could do this. As like, oh, okay. I uh, I I will say I wasn't fully engaged with like I was watching it like there were certain points where I was like uh, where I was like really getting into it and some bits where I was just like mm, okay this is you know it wasn't I, I wouldn't say it was boring it was just sort of like there was moments that I was more engaged with than others I I Which did really was, was that to do with was that to do with the intersectioning timelines like were you more interested in Lisbeth or um, I think I don't think I was. I probably should have paid a bit more attention than I was to it. Like I, but like there were certain moments where, as it was sort of going on and sort of things were getting revealed, it's like okay. And then there's like the the, the scene where Daniel Craig gets captured, and he's like, I was like, okay, this okay, this is working now. Um, I 
I I think I did. I've, I've, I've might, I don't know. I feel like I've touched before. I was not a fan. And I mean, I'm not supposed to be, but all the rape stuff did really like. Okay, yeah. I just like, okay, like I get it. But at a certain point, I was like, okay, I don't know if this is all. Like the. Dude, like it being referenced. Like the, do you dislike like the inclusion of the rape scenes, or is it just how he like holds like the graphic depiction or I is think, it just you I think seeing it like the the one we see with Rooney Mara she's like type like okay I don't need to see this I don't want to see this I like I I just yeah it, it's very just like if it being it, like if it was referenced or it was talked about that's like fine that doesn't bother me really it's the seeing it happen that I was like okay this is going a bit over the line for me. I'm I'm very I'm okay. not that bothered about things generally. I just think there's a certain lines that's like okay, like have you and I, and I think using the rape as like a plot point isn't it doesn't I don't have an inherent problem with it. Depend like context is key. Like the context in which it is used. And how it's used as sort of the frame, if it's used as like a framing device or whatever, that I don't necessarily mind. I just don't, personally, for me, I don't think there's a need to ever show it. Purely because I think it's a, like, and, uh, you know, it's like, you know, it's not that, like, I just think it's a bit too, like, like, violence in general doesn't bother me necessarily again it's 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 contextually based like what what is being shown why is it being shown does it need to be shown really i think that's what like is there a a reason for it to be shown if it was a bit implied that like that's what he's going to do to her then like that's like that doesn't bother me as much but the fact that we see it sort of happen i'm like okay that's a bit bit too much for me that uh, makes sense. I completely respect that. For me, I um um I I I'm gonna say so, sounds a bit weird. Uh, it was less graphic than I remember it being, which sounds really oh, okay. Cool to say. It, I mean, like, it's I pretty. I thought being, it was pretty graphic as is. I think. I think, I think it, it is. Fun. It is graphic. I think you know. It's not really my place to say whether you should show rape in a film or not, but I mm-hmm. think the overarching theme of the film is, you know, violence towards women pe- perpetuated by men, whether that's the social structures in place, whether that's the political structures in place. Um, yeah. You know, the, and we get that with the murders. You know, it's um, mm-hmm. they're all incredibly violent crimes to, to against women. Um, yeah. So I think it has thematic relevance, and I think mm-hmm. um, with uh, you know, there's like kind of two rape scenes on there. There's one where Rooney is Elizabeth is raped by her handler, like her, you know, yeah, um, the guy is giving her money to and, to live, yeah, and and that is graphic. But I do think it's if you if if somebody hasn't seen this film, it isn't. Like a 15 minute unflinching depiction it is graphic but it it does it doesn't show 
you know, like the whole duration of the rape, it doesn't um, depict, you know, there's, you, 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 know, you know what's going on, it's not just implied, like you do see it, but it, it didn't like hold on it for several minutes, at least for me. I think what Finch does is you is then when Elizabeth um, tortures him, um, it actually shows more of that, which I thought was um, mm. a sensible choice to show less of her rape and to show mm-hmm. more of her torture of him. I felt that was as tasteful as it can be when you're depicting rape. And obviously there's going to be people who will say, you shouldn't show rape any at all, this is too graphic for me. Completely understand that. But for me personally, I felt like that was a sensible choice. You know, you kind of see her torture of him for several minutes, and I felt like it went on much longer than it did. You know, his um, him raping her. Yeah. So yeah, I I completely understand that. Um, but just to go back to the original thing about it being a very simple crime mystery, like it operates as that, and then it operates as a psychological portrait of Elizabeth which mm-hmm. I think is a very interesting character. I think she's very absorbing. I think Rooney Mara is really incredible in this. I don't think it's her best performance, mm-hmm. um, but she is really great in this. Um, and I think there's more thematic depth to this than I originally remember there being. So obviously there's the violence towards women. You get the mm-hmm. generational aspect of it where Martin is kind of taking after his father, who's you know, raped his sister who's murdered all these women has kind of misogyny as a generational thing. There's yeah. um, hints of the uncomfortable truth behind anti-Semitism in Sweden. So you have many you know, European countries where people just like to forget about it or they kind of like to mm-hmm. distance themselves from their Nazi past. But you kind of get, it's not really an examination, but it's touched upon here. Several of the um, Wagner family used to be Nazis, and then there's one who's like very um, unapologetic about it, right? Harold. So I, I think there's thematic depth there. Um, and one thing I picked up on actually was Martin. He's obviously a complete psychopath. Um, you know, he's committed all these terrible crimes, but um, kind of how men view women. So when Elizabeth arrives in, um, when she arrives in, um, you know, the island he's staying on in, I think it's Hedishdad, um, he, mm-hmm. Martin keeps referring to her as his girlfriend. And he, he says many times, oh no, it's my assistant. And I know maybe I'm looking too much into this, but I think it was a very like personal choice. Like he does this three times where Martin can only view women as, you know, like sexual. It's well, it's she's not your assistant; she's your girlfriend. Or you know, go back to your girl. You know, if that makes sense, he's viewing her yeah. solely as this kind of sexual object. And we see this with Elizabeth that it's clearly, you know, she mentions that she tries to burn her father, and it's almost a comical way. And she says it. You know, they're like on the bed, and she says, "Oh, I got like eighty percent of him." And Daniel Craig's just like, "Oh." Um, he just doesn't really know what to say but I think there's kind of an implication in the other film the Swedish original I don't know if you've seen that but that's also very good I, uh, but I think I it's improved seen it. it's, it's yeah, no, like literally beat for beat the same film but I think this is on another level technically speaking um, but I think it's implied also in the book that 
um, Elizabeth's father was sexually abusive. And I think we really see that in Elizabeth's demeanor, you know, how she kind of covers up her skin with these, with baggy clothing, the tattoos, the piercings, mm-hmm. um, yeah. because like her body is almost, you know, this like source of abuse and she's kind of yeah. trying to cover um, all of that. So I think, yeah, it's a very simple crime, but there's so much more going on. And I think it's a perfect noir it was so important that they filmed in Sweden. Um, the landscape, you know, the light, the darkness, how he plays with light and darkness. We spoke about that in Social Network, but it's yeah. amplified here. Um, we have the severely flawed characters. You know, Mikhail is in disgrace. He's having an affair with a married woman. Um, Elizabeth, obviously, you know, <laughs> does things, not by the book. Um, mm-hmm. You don't get a perfectly satisfying conclusion we see that moment yeah. of vulnerability and your heart really breaks for her when you when you, when she buys the jacket and she goes to meet him and even then mikhail isn't like the others but still he has you know that's another time when a man has um he's not he's not being violent but he's kind of used her in that sense yeah. and he's gone back and even then you're like oh that's another case for a man who's kind of let down Elizabeth in her life. So I think there's so yeah. much more than meets the eye originally. I understand your complaints about it being too long. Um, but no, I loved it. I really, really love this film. Um, I think this think this is it's probably controversial, but I think this is Finch's best film on a technical level, I think. The sound work is mm. incredible. That the wind, you know, yeah. just um it really captures the yeah. landscape, which is so important for bringing the story to life. Um, the cinematography stunning. Um, the mood, I think, is the best in any Finch film. I think he sets the mood perfectly for this. Um, and I love the sound work when it's um, like the howl of the wind. You know, mm. at the start when Mikhail, sorry, I'm talking so much, but when Mikhail goes to Martin's house, which also, again, love the um, the contrast in the production design so that um you have martin's house which represents this new sweden the minimalist modern contrast with henrik's old money grand estate anyway he goes to martin's house and he's there he's eating with his like girlfriend it's implied it's his girlfriend but she won't you know Mm -hmm. marry him and you hear something and it sounds like the wind and it's you you can hear this howl and it's, you know, later he reveals it was this girl called Irina downstairs. And it's just things like that. The sound work is just off the charts. Incredible. I think it's edited perfectly. How the two timelines converge. Um, yeah, I just am lo- in love with this film. And I think, you know, when you have two corresponding timelines, you really need them both to be as strong as each other. And personally, I was invested in both Mikhail's thing and Elizabeth's. Um, wasn't really an issue for me but i understand your points completely um to, to to sort of talk about the sound i also love the way that the, the uses the immigrant song just the sort of cover it does of the immigrants that was like i think it was like the trailer they use that song like over the trailer. they use it in the trailer too yeah yeah i thought that was a really good like use of the song actually i thought it worked really well um i'd like yeah. 
I do think Rooney Mara is very good in this. I think Daniel Craig is a very underrated actor. Like, I don't think he's amazing yeah. in anything. But I think he's actually... Yeah, he's... I don't... I remember when I first watched this and I was very... as a little bit off-put, like, James Bond showing up. But I think his casting's perfect. He... Yeah, it's not an incredible performance, but he's very good. He he's kind of got that like charisma that's needed. You can see mm-hmm. why he's attracted to Elizabeth as a person. Um, but yeah, he's. I think he's really really good in this. I think Rooney, like you said, is incredible. Um, I don't. I'm maybe not as big on her performance as others are. Like I do prefer her in Carol. I think I prefer her in Side Effects. And we're going to talk about another kind of femme fatale later on who i think is kind of like blows her performance out the water but she's very good here i I think maybe what prevents me from saying oh this is like an all-timer performance is she does feel supporting for quite a large portion of the film and you don't really you don't really get moments of vulnerability from her until like the final scene which she really sells so I think mm-hmm. you know it's a very it's a very good embodiment, very like physical performance. She's great, but it's not necessarily one where I'm like, oh, this is one of you know the best performances of the decade or whatever. But she is mm-hmm. very good, and in her terrible Oscar lineup, she should have won because the competition was absolutely rubbish. But yeah, Meryl, yeah, Glenn Close is terrible in Albert Nobbs. Michelle Williams is really bad in My Week with Marilyn. Viola's good in The Help, but I don't necessarily think she needs an Oscar for that. I also think it would be a bad like Oscar win because she like hates the help or whatever and regrets that. So yeah, I think she should have easily won. She wouldn't be my personal winner for this year because there's so many incredible performances. There's The Skin I Live In, there's Kiss, Kirsten in Charlotte in Melancholia, there's mm-hmm. Anna Paquin in Margaret, there's Kristen Wiig in Bridesmaids, there's Elizabeth Olsen, Martha there's so many great female performances this year Tilda Swinton mm. we need to talk about Kevin but she's very very good behind I think it's very perfectly cast I think Christopher Plum is really good you know like these performances aren't school worthy whatever but I think he's very good I love how I think Robin Wright's very good too I, I love how Robin Wright's committing to the accent Christopher Plum is committing to the accent Rooney Mara is committing to the accent Daniel Craig's just playing Daniel Craig but it works yeah um, I don't, yeah, I don't really have, oh, I think one thing that, um, really struck me actually was, I felt like there was an examination of the psyche, and I mean, Finch is very interesting, like, psyche of these really messed up people, right, and I think there's an examination of the differences in psyche between rapists and murderers, obviously rape's such a big, pr- also, I love, you know the title card, the opening card's amazing, love them, so cool, um, did you not like them? Uh, no, I thought they were... I, I wish I could say I remembered exactly what you were talking about. It's like, it's, um, it's got, like, the motorbike, and it's, like, black, and mm. it, like, covers a woman's feet. No? It's it's very cool, yeah, and it has... I, I, it didn't... I didn't mind it. It sort of... It didn't stand out to me, particularly. But no, I really, really do love this film. Um... And I think it's kind of underrated in his filmography. Like, I feel nobody says, it's oh, that, that's my yeah. favorite Fincher film. Yeah. And like, I no don't think anybody says it's bad. It. Yeah, it's, I think it, if you were going to do like a Fincher list, it would probably be like mid to low tier, where 
it's not as divisive as like Benjamin Button or Game mm-hmm. or Panic Room, but it's not Gone Girl, it's not Seven, it's not Social Network, it's not Fight Club, yeah. it's not Zodiac. Which I guess is where yeah. you where you fall on it, right? Yeah, it's like sort of in the middle to sort of lower end of his filmography. Yeah. Like it's a, it's good, but I just don't have the the love for it that uh, you know I, like it's it's i think i think the thing is people who love this film like really really love it you know i think like it's if people you know love it i also often... think it's i also think it's hurt by you know the swedish film coming out two years before and they literally are uh very similar and that's a very very good film but i do think yeah this one enhances aspects and it really captures the mood better and technically it's better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, what did you did you give it a seven? I gave it a, a I prefer it to Benjamin Button, so I give it a, okay. a, a very weak eight as well. I okay, I'm, I'm glad you prefer it to Benjamin Button at least. Yeah, I don't think I but yeah, it's in the sort of lower half of Finch's output for me. Like it's still just to sort of my average rating for Finch's films. I added up my I, where I keep track of, like, director filmography averages. Stimpton has got an 8 out of 10 average. And I've seen all those films, so, yeah. like, it's a, it's very yeah. accurate, you know, 8 out of 10. With 11 films, I think that's a very good, yeah, average. So would, you, would you put Dragon Tattoo 7th, then, out of the 11? Uh, like, I above I... Alien 3, I presume. Panic Benjamin Room Button and Benjamin and Button. Panic Room. Yes. Yeah, and then yeah, so I'm just looking. No, and I I put it above. I'd actually put well, that's it. I put I put Mank in between Panic Room and Benjamin Button actually. Okay, but you, you prefer this to Mank too. I prefer this to Mank. Yeah, Mank okay. is third from the bottom actually. Okay. Um. No, I um, feel like that's when I feel like that's when most people have it. You know, in kind of like that six, seven, eight spot. Um, yeah, it's my second favorite Fincher. Um, would you nominate it for anything? I think it's it's yeah, sound editing. It'd probably be in my top ten films of the year. So I'd probably um, actually I want I want to look at my top ten films of twenty eleven. Would be actually because I don't even know what like I literally can't pull anything to mind from that year. It would be in my top ten of the year, but it's not. A, I don't think twenty eleven is a strong year, just based okay. off what I have seen. Like, I've, there's some films I quite like, but I don't think twenty eleven's. I think twenty eleven's a pretty, a bit of a weaker year in terms of films that came out. Even if there's a few would that you, I do really. But... Would you nominate Rooney? Uh, yeah, I probably would. I I can't think of anyone else like in the category that I like any other female performances in a category I prefer like let me just have a look which are my ratings because I don't think so I think yeah I probably yeah I probably give her the 2011 is not a very good year of films I don't think it's fairly see I'm I I have so many of my personal I think I have like seven favorite films like of all time from 2011 none of them none of them are oscar like i love love the skin i live in i love bridesmaids i love melancholia i love i i 
word nominative for a lot of things, but it's you know it's not necessarily my favorite in anything. Mm-hmm. But I but I do think I do stand by this being his most impressive on a technical level, which I feel like is controversial. But mm. yeah. Uh, what did you give it out of ten? Did you give a score for that? I one? gave it a nine. I I not a ten because mm, I mean it could be a ten. I feel like the ending. No. I feel like it doesn't give me enough enjoy- en- enjoyment as a simple like I know there's so much more, it's a noir, it's psychological portrait, it's got all this social commentary, but I don't think it gives me enough as a simple crime history. Mm-hmm. Like it is very, very simple. Um so yeah, I'm a bit a very high nine. Uh yeah. So then moving on to Gone Girl. Um okay. I think we're gonna dis. I I really like Gone Girl. I I was didn't get the chance to rewatch it, uh, unfortunately. But I do really enjoy it. I just as much as I enjoy it, and as much as I do really enjoy it, like about it, I don't think it's. Yeah, I don't think it's as good as some people say it is. Some people being me. Yes. Well, amongst others. I, I think this is a film that very much appeals to, yes, certain demographics a bit more, which is fine. Like, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's fine. Um, we, I, so in, you, you weren't here, obviously, but in last week's episode, we talked about, when we talked about Fight Club, we talked about the whole, um, thing of like people misunderstanding the film and, and idolizing Tyler Durden as a character and not getting that like he's obviously not meant to be idolized yep. and, I, and I'm not saying that like people do necessarily with um Amy uh, Rosamund Pike's character but or it's certainly not as a but like do you think there are people that do and and sort of miss the point of the film I think people definitely miss the point of Gone Girl both if you support Nick if you support Amy I think it's it's very easy to be like, oh, Amy's only doing this because Nick cheesed on her, or Nick is completely innocent. Amy's psycho bitch, like people say that, and I just think that's kind of steeped in misogyny. But um, I, yeah, I think people can. I think it's yeah. I mean, amazing Amy, Amy Dunn is a lot of people's favorite character right and a lot of them like oh you know she she was well within her rights to do that blah 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 so to that extent i can understand why you feel like some people might idealize her i think i can only speak from my experience i don't but i i I can see why that is i think she's just such an iconic character i'm not sure it's that serious for some people i don't think people actually i think it's a very extreme minority who would sit there and say i may Amy's, you know, well within her rights, she, you know, go Amy. Mm-hmm. I think most people, it's kind of a joke, and it's more, oh, she's just so iconic, like, whatever. But I, I think she does, she is relatable, even if people don't want to admit it. She is she is clearly a sociopath, probably a psychopath. She clearly is. But she is relatable, and she does get to the underbelly of a lot of people's marriages, a lot of people's preconceived notions of gender 
dynamics of um, of relationships. Um, and I'm not saying everything she does is justified, but you know I think there's a reason why her cool girl monologue is so iconic, um, for lack of a better word, because yeah i'm not i don't think anybody would say yeah you should go and frame your husband for murder so he gets the death penalty but there is a lot of relatability within that if that makes sense so yeah i I do think people can idealize her for sure i Um, I think it'd be ridiculous if somebody was to say amy is a psycho and a sociopath and nick is just the innocent party like that's not the case. They both have issues. I also think Nick is a narcissist. As extreme as these two characters are, there is so much of us in them, which makes the film speak to people on a cultural level, um, even if we don't want to admit it. But yeah, that, that's just my thoughts. So do you think people do idealise her? Not really. Like, I... Because I was looking on Reddit, you know, because this, this is a conversation that has been had four on you know various places you know people are like asking about the same thing and and often the whole um response given to that is is sort of a general like well but what about you know all these men that idolize these sort of male characters who are also you know and, and i think and i'm not disagreeing with that and i'm not saying that's not a fair point but i don't know if that's necessarily an answer it sort of feels like it's dodging the question and i don't think many people do find amy to be like uh idolize her but i think just the the discussion around it i think because some people don't seem to want don't engage or they sort of be like well but what about you know insert idolized male character that should be idolized and i i think that sort of it's dodging the question i think i think Um, what's interesting is when it was originally released both as a book and a film is that a lot of female audiences really did not respond to this character they felt she was Mm. gave women a bad name or whatever you know like perpetuating myths Mm. that women make um, yeah it's definitely not a it's definitely yeah that yeah, and how she kind of really resents the other women in this film, for example. But mm-hmm. yeah, I do think it's picked up you know, kind of like a Gen Z audience online, where, you know, like her cool girl monologue, everything like that is very memorable. But I think with Amy, um, she, I don't think she inflicts violence. On, okay, she is clearly a psychopath. She is not correct in her methods. She destroys people's lives. But nobody's really a hero in this. There is no hero. She, Nick, yeah. I'm not saying Nick deserves everything that comes his way, but he, I think we'll get onto this in a bit, but you know, the whole ending, everything, like he isn't completely disgusted by her actions. And, um, Desi, who is like the victim in this because he is murdered, he's a serial creep. He is very creepy. The way he treats Amy, you can see, is very mm. weird. He wants to treat her like a toy. He, as soon as yeah. she comes back after making up this whole story about being um, 
you know, like a victim of domestic abuse and being kept captive or whatever, um, his first thing is, as long as you, once you look like yourself again, you'll feel better. And it's kind of, well, you just want to make her attractive for you. And even when they're watching TV, he's very controlling, very dominant. So yeah, she does kill him. I'm not saying it's okay to kill people, obviously, but he isn't. He is also a bit of a villain in this too. Nobody is wholly good in this, except maybe yeah. Margot. I feel like Margot comes out the best. Nick's mm-hmm. twin. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's maybe different to, like, for example, if you were to idealize the Joker in The Dark Knight, he's inflicting violence upon innocent people. Yeah. Amy is not a good role model. Please don't treat Amy like a role model, obviously, but I don't really think people do. And I, I do think, you know, sidestepping the point is stupid. But um, I don't think she, it's not like, oh, poor Desi, poor Nick. These people are completely innocent. They're yeah. all very flawed people. The the, the problem with the whole sidestepping the argument and just sort of being like, in, you know, talking about these other male characters is like, well, I don't think that really helps your case then. If, you're not, if, you, if you don't want to, if you're not answering the yeah, question. Two, like, two it's, wrongs. Don't make a right. Yeah, and I think, and uh, I find some people on Reddit to be really just dumb, just awful people. Yeah, like, and um, I and I imagine most don't. I just think it's an interesting conversation to have because it's it's a yeah. I find it very common. You know, people talk about you know idolization of Tyler Durden and the Joker and Travis Bickle and all these characters, and you know that's always a discussion that's had. Funny. Yeah, but you don't really get it the other way with women idolizing female characters. And I'm not saying like it's a thing that yeah. happens as commonly or whatever, but I still think it's a conversation that, like, yeah. regardless of what and you I, stand, I, think, I think it's a worthwhile conversation. Amy, I think because we've just done Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, I think it's important to say Amy's not like an anti-hero like Elizabeth. Like Elizabeth is clearly morally. In the wrong for a lot of things, but you, you know, you do kind of think her heart's like in the right place. She is kind if, of she's helping try to solve this. And, yeah, case, and she cares you know, like strongly. She, like she's a feminist character, she cares strongly about violence towards women. Amy is not a feminist. Yeah. I also don't think Gonga is a no. feminist piece. I think it's really being picked up as feminist just because it's like oh women doing bad things like that isn't feminism i mean there's obviously several strands to feminism in several ways but i don't think gone girl is mm-hmm. i also don't think it's sexist but i don't think it's necessarily feminist and i also don't yeah. think well I, also, I don't think yeah i also don't think gone girl is trying to make you like amy i don't think that's the point no it isn't and i it's showing you both these people like it's clearly at the end it isn't saying oh yeah, Amy was in the right, Nick sucks. Like, clearly it's not. Like, anybody yeah. with a brain knows that. And Gillian Flynn even said, oh, I was really scared about, you know, introducing the world to Amy Dunn because I was scared I had killed feminism. How would feminists react to this? Like, it's clearly not supposed to be um, an endorsement of this character. But anyway, so um, where, do you, where do you want to start with Gone Girl? I feel like there's so much. Um, I mean, we've been talking about the characters a lot. I mean, we might as well just... Yeah, Rosamund Pike. Um, I'm a. I really enjoy Rosamund Pike in thing. I, I think she's a very. Good, I mean, I saw Saltburn recently, and I thought she was. Yeah. Very great in Saltburn, you know, and it's a very different before. It's more of a comedic performance in Saltburn, but mm. I think she's a very good talent. And yeah, I think. I don't know if I'd say she's my favorite 
No, no, I definitely wouldn't say she's my favorite David Fincher performance, but she's probably in the top ten somewhere. I'd say. Okay. Um, I thought you were about to say she's she's not my favorite performance in the film, and I was a bit shocked. But... She's definitely the best performance of the film. Okay. Like, no question <laughs> um, about it. I... Though Ben Affleck is very good, and so is Carrie Coon. And I do like, yeah, Ben Affleck in it. Surprisingly, I never Affleck, think of Ben I, Affleck as a good actor. Yeah, you know? but I think this is like very meta, so it's very hard to like. Oh, he's well, like off the world because yeah. he is kind of playing a version of himself. But he yeah, is. I mean, very... him and David Fincher didn't get along. <laughs> like. Oh yeah. That was it. Yeah. Um. Which, you know. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Just to go off what you were saying with Rosamund, I think what really struck me with this rewatch, and to be clear, this is like probably my 13th, 14th time watching this film, but what really struck me with re-watching this, and this is my favourite Fincher, I tease this with Dragon Tap, this is my favourite Fincher, this is one of my favourite films, I don't know if I would put it in a top 10, but it's like definitely in a top 50, top 30 favourite films of all time for me personally, but um, Rosamund's performance is one of my favourite performances. Um, of all time and i think what really struck me in the rewatch was actually how restrained her performance was i wouldn't say subtle but it's not because mm. whenever whenever i watch gone gun and people say oh i don't know if she's like oscar worthy you know i think really like how can you think that she does so much and then i rewatched it um two days ago or whatever and it struck me oh she actually is quite restrained like there's not really a scene you know where it's um there's a crying scene or there's like a massive screaming scene it's mm. just what what really powers the performance are her voice the things she does with her voice is like genuinely incredible and her body language so i think you can see why people may be like oh she's not really that incredible but i, I think she is she um her voice i just want to like focus on her voice i think Obviously, the screenplay for Gone Girl is incredible, but she does mm-hmm. so... Like, there's a reason why Amy is so iconic, and that is because of her voice. Just different ways how she pronounces certain things, different um, mm-hmm. affectations, um, enunciations. Um, there's so many different things that she does with her voice. There's, like, a lilt that she has where she kind of comes yeah. up at the end. Um, like I know I'm focusing so much on the small things of voice, but it's so important, especially for the first half, where it's voiceover. That's her entire performance is just a voiceover, um, mm-hmm. and it's very unsettling. Even in the first half, you think, um, and she communicates that so much just with her voice. Like she doesn't really have an acting scene, right? Apart from the scene on the mm-hmm. stairs. So I'm going to talk so much about this film. I'm so sorry, but the <laughs> scene on the stairs where like, this is like my favorite scene in the entire movie, where she says. You know, I, I maybe maybe it's time. Um, and now he's, you know, he's when she's talking about um having a baby, and you know, he like throws her against the stairs, but he doesn't actually. But you know what I mean. That scene. Yeah. Um, she does so much with that scene, and all she does is walk down stairs. Like she does so much with her voice in that scene, and her body language. So much with her body language that it's genuinely incredible. She um she um, oh the body she genuinely makes you kind of emotional in that scene for amy and obviously we know it's a lie like later on but she genuinely yeah. makes you emotional she um just the way she 
reads her lines where she's like, um, that's when I realized I was frightened of my own husband. Just perfect performance. And I think what's really interesting in the first half is you, you see her in these voiceovers, in these flashbacks, but she's not doing very much. But, you know, the final bit where she comes home, it's she's got the same voice, but it's such a different performance and it's not very mm-hmm. flashy. But she in the first half, you know, you can you can kind of relate to her. You feel bad for her. Um, mm-hmm. And the scene with the stairs, they've got like home that's what the track's called score yeah. incredible um she so be sorry but when she comes home she um so different but so some she it's just she's like completely devoid of anything she just she moves like a robot she, like mm-hmm. just her mannerisms when he comes down the stairs for breakfast and she's like hello handsome do, do you want a, mm-hmm. a crepe um just simple things she does with her body language and it's just a completely different person you're like oh she is truly there's nothing there behind the eyes i don't know how she does it but she does um Mm -hmm. and yeah her voice just so many things she does with her voice um and she nails the like perfect accent that amy has where it's you know this new yorker it's slightly snobby slight but you know still relatable she's not she's kind of unlikable she puts you on edge but she's not like but you still kind of gravitate towards her um mm-hmm. and yeah there's so much variety in the performance as um like the various accents she does there's the whole i mean the whole performance is a is a show right like she's showing different sides to her to different people um mm-hmm. and she's very funny in this and when she comes mm. home, there's so many different scenes where she's funny. There's one scene where I'm going to name a quote, but it's not going to sound very funny because it's out of context. But it, typical Fincher, it's very funny. She's in the chair and she's lapping it up. She's, you know, loving the attention the police officers are giving to her. And she's really going hard with this story. And the detective tries to interrupt her and she says, now, if I may go back to the part where I was being held prisoner by a man of by a man with a history of mental problems and it doesn't sound funny when i'm saying it but the way she says it it's so like um and it's like so flippant but also so i I don't know how to explain her performance but it's so um dramatic and kind of like degrading of desi like a man with history i don't know it's just incredible performance and i'm only talking about her voice there's other things she does but yeah the first half of her performance is just voiceover and i genuinely think it's oscar worthy just what she does with the voiceover but um i will stop talking you can you can um, interject i mean i mentioned this sort of earlier on in the episode provided i've kept it in um that it's kind of i find you know actors who play sort of a bit kind of emotionless characters i don't think it's particularly difficult to do like yeah. i and I think, but I think Rosamund Pike's very good at that in this, you know, she sort of the, just sort of this emotionless. I, I agree. I agree completely with you where it's like easier to kind of just play like a psychopath, which is why I'm not really impressed with like Kathy Bates in Misery, because it's a very good performance, but it feels kind of, is it really that, like, obviously it's an incredible performance, but is it really that difficult? Like it kind of feels a bit like a caricature at times, not really that much nuance. But yeah. I think with Amy, she has to 
convince you for an entire half of the film that she's this relatable cool girl you know she mm-hmm. does have to kind of present a different side to her and you never get a scene where she shows emotion but there's scenes where she has to fake showing emotions to other people where she you know she breaks down crying or she's mm-hmm. like i'm so scared you know um so i think that kind of helps her from falling into a trap of um cliche villain femme fatale you know i think because she has to show these different perspectives and different sides to her whether mm-hmm. it's to the, the the police to the media to desi um and i think there's you know there's a couple of performances from female villains where you feel like people gravitate towards them because they're iconic it's whatever i mm-hmm. i don't and then are they necessarily that good a performance i don't think that's the case here i think it's genuinely incredible performance from her it's not just mm-hmm. because it's oh Amy's doing bad things, so iconic, let's give her an award. No, like there's genuinely yeah. so much to her performance. Um mm. Yeah, is it was it more restrained for you than I know it's very flashy on the surface because she's playing a psycho, but it's not mm. you know, there's not like one big scene when she just like loses control and is crazy. Yeah, like when I watched it because um, I didn't get a chance to rewatch it. Actually, I couldn't find the time, unfortunately. So I'm just yeah. going to speak of my. But um, very long. Yeah, it uh, it is very long. Yes. Um. It never. I remember like the scene where she kills Neil Patrick Harris, and yeah. <laughs> if I remember correctly, she's just very like emotionless when I do. Like it's not like a particularly. Like it's a brutal moment, but it's never like a. It's very like from my memory. It's very cold. It's very sort of mechanical, almost like where she's like just like stabbing him repeatedly, Mm -hmm. and that's it. And like that is quite unnerving. Like I've got I I can give the film that like that it is that is an unnerving thing to witness someone just doing something so heinous and brutal, and there's just like nothing. Like there's just nothing. Like that's like you know. I think really yeah. interesting. I um, think, um, like on 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 the one hand, you could you could say, "Oh, that's you know, she's not really doing anything." But it, it's very hard to just completely remove yourself to kind of become like this blank vessel. I know, I know, we said Benjamin Button was like very boring and empty vessel, but this is different. She is like unnervingly scary, creepy with how she manages to just remove everything from amy and it is a there is definitely a difference from the first half of amy mm-hmm. where you genuinely kind of feel emotion even on rewatches when you know the twist and the second half of amy where it is very mechanical like you're saying very robotic how she interacts um mm-hmm. and there's nothing behind the eyes do you have a do you have a personal like favorite scene from gone girl uh not really i i just sort of like i just think sort of as an overall package like as an overall film it's 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 one of these things where it's like i really love the film but there's not like a scene i can just like point to as like this is an amazing scene really what, I mean, what the, the scene where she, where she kills okay. neil patrick harris i did yeah really like that because again there's sort of the build-up to it's like oh because I, if i if i remember correctly there's like the you see the like scissors or whatever he's got like on the bed or something. It's like, oh, okay, well, yeah. something's gonna happen. Yeah. Um, what? So um, you don't. And what are your problems with Gone Girl? 
I just sort of, again, I, I should have tried to find time to rewatch it. I, I think, I don't know. I think it's like, again, I think it, maybe it's a bit long. And I, and I think like, also it is a bit weird that like this whole town is that in get like that's not really a problem really it's just sort of i find it interesting that there's this sort of town that like they're all engaged so invested in this and i and i think it to be honest i do think outside of like rosamund pike and maybe ben affleck a lot of the other performances aren't really doing a whole lot yeah. for me like rosamund pike i i, I think it's because rosamund pike is so good in the role that everybody else just kind of looks a bit shit. <laughs> which, which I find that with some films is that yeah. one actor is doing so much better work that just compare like all the other actors just don't look as good comparatively. Yeah. So. I I. Which isn't necessarily a fault of the film. No, but I. It's more just like. I know what you mean. It feels like Amy and sort of Nick as well are sort of the only real characters. Yeah, real like 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 the, the most sort of defined character. Where it's you know like Tyler Perry, like what is what is that? And like you know, there's sort of like everyone else is just sort of like they're just sort of like pieces on a chessboard. You know, they're sort of like background to sort of just fill the film up a bit more. I guess that's how I. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I um I do get what you mean. You... How is saying the different timelines in Girl the Dragon Tattoo? I wasn't really drawn to one or the other. I was engaged in both of them. I think if I had one criticism of Gone Girl, it would be in the f- that I just am more in naturally gravitate towards the timeline with Amy because Rosamund is so, so good in it. She's so magnetic. And I think Ben Affleck's very good in it too. But I think the voiceovers with her in the first half are more interesting for me personally than like the procedural thing going on with Ben Affleck. And I think the second half when she's with Desi, that's more interesting. She's just such a huge presence. She's so incredible in the film that I agree that it can be sometimes when she's not on screen, it kind of can lag a bit. Um, But I, I think this film's perfectly cast. I think Rosamund is obviously like a masterstroke in casting and she didn't have anything which would suggest she would be able to do this she had been in lots of films you know she'd been a bond film like 10 years ago she'd been in an education she'd been in pride and prejudice there's nothing in her filmography prior to this which would suggest she'd be able to play this sort of character which i think really helps you know like Mm -hmm. reese witherspoon apparently wanted to play this that would have been appalling she like that and just mm, know, and also would not you, you don't really know Rosamond. Like you don't know anything about her, which really helps with playing Amy. Mm. Um, I think Ben Affleck's perfectly cast. Yeah. That's like very meta casting. You know, every kind of likes Ben Affleck, but he's a bit of a douche. You know, that there's there's <laughs> like that meta thing going on. I think Carrie Coon's perfectly cast as the sister. I think I like Tyler Perry in this film, and. I will defend Neil Patrick Harris's casting. I know people don't like it. And I think before I used to think maybe they should have cast like something like Army Ham. I don't know why I keep mentioning Army Ham on this podcast, but maybe somebody like Army <laughs> Ham because he's got like that preppy, like old money look. But no, Neil Patrick Harris is perfect uh. because he's very weedy. 
he's kind of pathetic. You need somebody that you can understand, like, who has, like, that old money look to them, but you, is somebody who Amy A can overpower physically, like, I know Amy's a psycho, but she's not going to be able to overpower a six foot five man, and... Yeah, however, yeah, I mean, however, yeah, and you much bigger, it doesn't really And work. you can understand why she's so easy to control Desi, like, Nick is more of her equal. Desi is very easy to manipulate mm. and control, even if he thinks he's manipulating her, because he's an idiot. But, um, yeah, yeah no, I, I really enjoyed the performances. I don't think anybody's giving awards for performances aside from her, but I enjoyed the rest of the cast. Mm-hmm. Um, with the whole the town being engaged, I think sometimes people... You know, some things I've heard as criticisms have been, it's unrealistic, it's so exaggerated, but I think that's the entire point. I think it's laid out from the first scene when you see him talking about how he wants to crack open his wife's, see what she's thinking, whatever. You, it's, it is reality, but it's a very distorted reality. It's a satire, like a network, you know, it's reality, but it, it gets to a place where it's an extreme there's conveniences in Amy's plan. Like, how does she know they'll find the book? How does she know they'll find the diary? How does she know she'll be believed? How does she manage to drive halfway across the country without being recognised? How does she manage to drive from Desi's boathouse covered in blood all the way home? Like, it's... Obviously, it doesn't make sense. It's a satire. Like, it's not Mm -hmm. really reality. It's exaggerated. It's extreme. Um, And with the people being... um, you know, being so engaged in it. I mean, Amy packages herself in the village She on purpose because she's aware of the media, and that's really the third character. There's Nick and Amy, and then there's the media, how the media amplify Miss, the, like, the perfect victim. Amy's the perfect victim. She's a white woman. She's pregnant. She's, like, yeah. you know, the everyday girl that everybody is like, how, how could you do this? Like, it's sad when anybody goes missing, but it's so sad if it's but she was perfect, she's so beautiful, she's so clever, she went to Harvard, she's per- do you know what I mean? So I think the media's very... Yeah, they keep calling her amazing Amazing Amy, Amy. Yeah. and um, at the end of the day, um, the whole point of Gone Girl, for me, is you see two people, and I think we're all guilty of it, when we meet somebody new, right, you, it doesn't even have to be like romantic. Whenever you mm-hmm. meet somebody, you're always putting on a different version of yourself, right? Trying to put on a better version of yourself. And that's what happens with Amy and Nick. He's trying to aspire to her level and she's being the cool girl, which, you know, the big cool girl monologue, which I think we all can relate to to an extent. And obviously with Amy, it's a bit different because she's always putting on an act because she's a psycho. But she... She has to do that because her parents have literally plagiarized her entire childhood. Amazing Amy, she, you know, she's used to having that better version of herself sold through all these books. So it's like kind of second nature to her. And when she meets Nick, he's trying to pretend to be somebody better than he is. And the reason, and that's why, you know, in those voiceovers, obviously you have to take everything with a pinch of salt because most of it's fabricated. But, you know, she says the early entries are mostly true. Um... They were the happiest couple they knew, and she says, what's the point in being together if you're not happiest? It's all about how we put on a version of ourselves in relationships, etc., etc., but Nick can't keep up with it. Amy's content to keep doing the cool girl thing, but and that's, you know, why, why Amy's had enough. Nick doesn't, 
he can't keep up with this persona he's put on. Um, and what mm-hmm. what ends her back is him putting on that persona in the interview. And with Nick, we can also, you know, Amy's a psycho. Amy's she was a psycho before she did all those terrible things to that boy that she accused of rape. Um, of raping her, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't because Nick cheated on her. She was a psycho before. But she, it's, it is relatable. Her husband, she's moved home to look after his dying mother and he's starting an affair. He's not putting in the effort, etc., etc. And there's one, there's the flashback on the stairs. What I noticed in the last rewatch is you see him like, pushing up his hair and he's saying he's going to go see friends obviously he's not going to go see friends he's really you know taking time to see how he looks because he's probably going on a date with andy and she finds like a jewelry box which she puts down and i think it's implied that it's probably you know some jewelry he's bought andy and she's realized this etc um so there is kind of that relatability Mm -hmm. that yeah this guy is a douchebag he yeah, Amy's pretending to be this girl, but he also pretends to be something he's not keeping it to it. And now he's, you know, having an affair, et cetera, et cetera. And she's bought him a bar. And that doesn't excuse what she does, but it, you know, it makes it somewhat relatable when, you know, when, when obviously nobody goes and frames the husband murder, but it kind of like taps into an underbelly of relationships. And there's something in Nick which is attracted to that, even if he doesn't want to admit it. Like, at the end, why does he stay with her? Yes, he's trapped because she's come back. She's played the media. She's the perfect victim. He's the douchebag. But she, um, Margot says at the end, she's like, you want to stay with her, don't you? Because deep down, he is kind of attracted to it. He is a narcissist too, and he's kind of attracted to it. When she says, I killed for you, it kind of... He doesn't want to admit it, but it kind of, he kind of likes it. He isn't completely, he's repulsed, but he's also attracted to it. And I think it really taps into that kind of underbelly. Like, why are, pe- why are people so fascinated with Amy? Like you are saying, she's an evil person. But there's something attractive about her. She's interesting to watch. She's interesting to follow. We, you shouldn't root for her, but you do kind of root for her slightly because her husband's a douchebag, you know? Um, and the media is so important. Mm-hmm. We see these two people pretending to be better versions of themselves. And which is the version the media likes? It's when Nick puts on the show to get Amy back. They like that Nick. The media constantly um, amplifying, responding to these um, performances, to these versions of ourselves we put on mm-hmm. for the cameras. And at the end of it, they get a book deal. They're probably going to have a reality TV show. And they end with them interview, being interviewed by the media. So the media is such an important part of it. Um, yeah, sorry, I just spoke at you. But <laughs> I promise I'll shut up soon. But um, you know, the whole, is Amy a feminist character? Is she not? I don't think she's a feminist character. She's resentful towards other women. And I think what's very important in the film is... She plays the media, everybody believes her, she's the perfect victim. Yeah, it's exaggerated, but it's a satire. And Gone Girl is purposely funny, like, there's so many funny moments. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's one scene where Andy goes to the media, um, and she, you know, is telling them that she had an affair with Nick Dunn. And there's a scene where she's, um, there's a scene, I think she's like, oh, why is she dressed like a babysitter, babysitter the girl with the giant come on me tits is dressed like a fucking Mennonite like it's funny like she's a funny character there's it's which why which is why Finch was um perfect for this material because it's got that dark humor but with 
Amy, she's so resentful towards other women. And what's important in this film is I think she underestimates other women because she thinks she she like understands like the weakness of women and thinks she's better than it. She underestimates Greta, you know, the girl on the compound who steals from her. And she says to her, she says, oh, did he make you do this? And she's like, no, I made him do it. And you see how there's like this darkness within women, which you don't really see in media as such and she underestimates it too even though she knows it she thinks she's like the only one she underestimates other women and the only women who see through her the media all buy her perfect perfect um by her perfect victim trail but the only people who see it through it are nick um and other people are all women the detective Rhonda, she at the end is asking all the questions and all the men are like no we've let, let her there's a room of police officers you know at the end when she's recounting her story and i think she's the only woman apart from one other and all the rest there's like 10 men and everybody believes amy except the woman and margot sees through her and greta the girl at the compound is mm-hmm. only the woman who can see through amy because she uses this she she uses her femininity um you know she uses her sex appeal with desi she subverts link so you know sex where it's usually seen as kind of a cool i don't know she turns into something violent um she it's we you know when we think of sex we think of it kind of more as like a masculine thing rather than a feminine thing or if you're thinking of violence and sex you're thinking oh it's the man perpetuating violence against the women yeah she's subverting that yeah, you never really see it the other way around. It's always, yeah. like, it's... I can't think of any film off the top of my head where, like, well, g- a woman Girl with the dragon committing... tattoo, but, yeah. Yeah, but that's a bit different. Yeah. It's never... It's sort of... It's revenge more than that. It's You never see, like, uh, you know, she's... a female antagonist yeah, she's she, sort of doing she, that. Which... She's subverting it there, and she's using her femininity. She's using... You know the parts which maybe you would think hold her back as a woman she's using it and subverting it and using yeah this traditional male um battleground middle ground whatever you want to call it and subverting it and committing violence against the man during a sexual act and it's a very like um escalating thing like he literally I don't know how graphic we want to get, but when he literally ejaculates and she slits his throat, like it's a very emasculating thing. Like he's just so pathetic in the moment. Yeah. Um, and the only other thing. Oh, that's yeah, that's how yeah, because she's trying to disguise it as a as a rape. Yeah. yeah. Which is so. Yeah. She she yeah. And there's one other thing. Sorry about the whole like gender thing. I want to bring up. There's so often pregnancy is seen as like a trap for women and don't get me wrong you know women can get pregnant with men and it's like a trap for the man or whatever but usually when a character gets pregnant yeah or the woman's been raped or she's you know trapped with her baby the husband wants nothing to do with it she you know her life's over because she has a baby and she has no you know what i mean like there's so many tragic yeah exactly. where it's like seen as a curse yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she's subverting that again she's using pregnancy to trap nick she gets pregnant at the end she has him, I mean, it's kind of implied, we don't actually know if she did it, but you know, she has, she gets artificially inseminated, and it's implied that she's now pregnant. Mm-hmm. And she's using something so feminine, yeah. so traditionally feminine, which is also, which is seen as a curse for women in this situation, she's using it to trap the man. So that's another subversion that I really, um, 
I really love what Gillian Flynn does with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just even, sorry, yeah. I will, I will shut up, I promise. But she, even in that argument when she, he reveals that she's pregnant, when he finds out that she's pregnant, you know, it's the scene where he throws her against the wall and she's like, I'm the cunt you married, you know. Um, that scene, that scene, you know, she's, she's used, he's he's thrown her against the wall but she's still the one in control she she's saying cunt how often do you see like a woman saying cunt in a film she's saying cunt she it's a great scene i mean i'm you know i'm so whenever i watch like an american film and they just use that word i'm like huh i'm not used to it because i'm so used because i've seen so much british and nobody would dare like want to say that i i live in australia yeah and like in australia you just hear it every day like it's not it's it's always surprising, you know, and I read an article recently, you know, Pete Davidson was using the word against women, which, you know, isn't, a yeah, bit, it's not a bit misogynistic, but like, I think if it was just like, cause the controversy, just using the word, I don't think is, but also I'm from a country where that's just used, you know, like every day. Like I, I don't see the problem if yeah. it's being used like towards women specifically then i'm like okay that's a bit yeah but i, yeah, but I think it's different in america right they have like bigger censorship they're like swearing uh america's yeah. so i think yeah, it's, it's america more it's striking yeah. he's like using it's it, that's why i see it's like yeah a bigger for the de- bigger deal because it's like it's how i mean america's weird though it is like <laughs> the the censorship america is weird. in yeah. america because it's like oh guns can be sold to, to children but <laughs> You can't show naked women. No, you can't. You know, it, it's just like, which, what is okay and what isn't. Which, it's like, I feel like you'll you know, disagree with me weird. here, but I'm honestly shocked that this isn't 18. Like, Dragon Tattoo 18, okay. And I know there's that explicit scene where she slits his throat in this. But aside from that, I'm like, is, does this really justify an 18? And I know that is like a very explicit. Wait, this has got an 18? 18. That's insane. This is not that yeah, I bad. think it should be a 15. I'm That's so insane. shocked it's an 18. It came up 18 as like... Like, I get... Yeah, like, I get the whole, like, the the violence, like, when she kills him. Totally fair. Like, this is... You know, I get that. An 18. But, like, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo makes obvious sense. Like, of course, yeah. like, this brutal... It's like a brutal... Rape. Like, that alone... Yeah, that's correct. Because here, well, in Australia, because I think you've got different ratings, because we've got, like, it's, like, G, PG, M, MA, and R. Like, that's the sort of range. And, like, R is, like, 18+. plus. But for here, it's an MA, which is, like, 15+, plus, which I think is fair. I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I think that's what Gone Girl... Um, like, obviously, it's different. Because that's... Because beyond that one scene of there is violence... Not, there's no is other, there anything like, else there's really... There's that scene where he, like, pushes her against the table, but, like, stairs, that's not really that bad. I mean, it's obviously bad, but, but you know what I mean. Um, and... Big of a problem, though. There, no, there is nothing. Like, it's, like it's, it's a bit violent. Yeah, but I don't even think there is. But I don't oh, see she, like, she, you, I guess there's that scene in the mirror, you know, with the cool girl monologue, and she says, um, grown-ups suffer consequences. And, you know, she, like, hits herself with a hammer. But you don't even see yeah. that. You don't... It cuts, so you don't actually see her. Yeah. I don't I don't know why it's an 18, but, um... Yeah. yeah. I... That's really bizarre. I think, um... You said everything. I've spoken way too long, sorry. Um... 
look, we've been recording. We're going to be, it's going to be close to three hours by the time we're done recording. So I think we should, should we should get close. Well, actually, uh, it's like two hours. It'll be like two and a half, maybe. We've got Do to you have, of, yeah, wrap it up. I give it a, sorry. Do you have, yeah, do you have any last thoughts on it? Um, I, I am surprised that this is so highly rated on IMDb because this just doesn't really scream. Like, this just doesn't come across as, like, an IMDb favorite, really. Yeah. In the sense of, like, Letterboxd, I can see why Letterboxd would love this film. Um, but IMDb, it's sort of like, huh, this is interesting. You know, like, it's, I, don't get me wrong, I do really like the film. I think it's maybe, like, the fit, in fact, I think it's probably in my top five now, because I rewatched Seven and The Game, and I didn't love them as much, so I think this is now in my top five. Yeah. Um, I think it just, just more just because stuff has been pushed down and I've adjusted my ratings. Let me have a, I think this is my fourth favorite, fourth yeah, favorite. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty good. Would, um, I give it a nine, a very weak nine, might I add. What do you think? Um, but yeah, sorry, enough about Gone Girl. I did give it a 10, unsurprisingly. Um, it's my favorite Fincher. It's one of my yeah. favorite films all time and Rosamund's one of my favorite performances of all time so yeah and then to move on because we've been recording for a while um to move on uh with Mank now I already did an Oscars episode for Mank I did like a retrospective of the the best picture nominees that year so I've already talked about Mank so I'm gonna let you lead this one because I've basically given my thoughts already on this one okay I um, I really like Mank. I, do you? I think you like. I yeah, really. I, I think. I think you mentioned that you're a, yeah, a fan. I am. I. I think I didn't love it as much on rewatch. Um, like I think there was a time when I had it in my favorite films, which I wouldn't. Whoa. Which I wouldn't get That's as far now. But high praise. But it, it 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 is one of my favorite films from 2020. Um, I really love it. I think it's immaculately. Wow. I think it is immaculately crafted. Um, I love how he manages to capture the era. Um, even if there's like a couple of problems I have with the cinematography, but for the most part, I think he really manages to capture the era and really transport you back there. I think it has. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's much more cynical than people make out. Like people just describe this as Oscar bait. Which okay, sure. I don't really like that as an. It kind of is, yeah. I do yeah, but I don't really is. think it needs to be an insult. Like, oh, that's Oscar bait. Like, okay, does that make it bad? No. Uh, um, not inherently, I, no. There, like, Oscar bait can it, be but, very. Yeah, but it would be bad Oscar bait. It doesn't. Murder. It's not like. It's not an insult to say Oscar bait. Like that's just describing something. Yeah. Um, but no, I think it's much more cynical. It's not just like a love letter. Like, I remember seeing people describe this as a love letter to cinema. And I thought, what? It's not a love letter. It's very cynical. I think it's very nihilistic. I think it's very fatalistic. Um, it's, it's not my favourite Fincher, but it is maybe my fourth favourite after the three we just spoke about. Um, I really love the performances. I think Gary Oldman's excellent. Um, I think Amanda Seyfried's amazing. I like all the supporting cast. I think Charles Dance is really good as William Randolph Hearst. Um, I think mm. there's definitely some. I really like, yeah, I really like Charles Dance just in yeah, general. Yeah, same. I, I think. He's... And he's not in it, though. Like, 
No, yeah. but he delivers. Um, I mean, yeah, if you're talking about the cast. he delivers the crucial line, which yeah. is the whole point of the film. You know, the monkey, um, the the organ grinder's monkey parable. Like the whole point of the movie. I think the film's got like a very. Um, <laughs> I've never seen Citizen Kane, by the way. That is. You should. Oh, yes. I mean, I did also see Mank before Citizen Kane. Yeah, and it, maybe that would have helped. Yeah, people um, say it really does. And help. I think Citizen Kane is, I think Citizen Kane is a, uh, an incredible film. Not, I will say this, I don't think it's the greatest film ever. Like I, I just like Citizen Kane is a, a fantastic film. Like, don't get me wrong, but. I'm just like I don't think this is the greatest, you know. I, I'm 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 very rarely one to be like, you know, like when I saw The Godfather, I don't get the love for The Godfather, uh, but like you know, I Citizen Kane's good, and I do actually feel like if I re if I like watched Citizen Kane and then immediately watched Mank, it would give me a different appreciation of the film. Yeah, like sort of watched Mank right after. Hey, I um, haven't yeah. Like, Citizen Kane is worth watching. Yeah, yeah. I, I obviously uh, need to watch Citizen Kane. And I understand that people say you can't really can't understand Mank if you don't watch Citizen Kane. I didn't find that to be the case, because I do I do know about William Randolph Hearst. I do know about Marion Davies. I do know about Upton Sinclair. I do know who Charles Leder is. Like, I know these characters from this era, so it wasn't really... Mm. Yeah, I don't think... It didn't impact my viewing like when i saw no. mank but i was could... like i enjoyed it maybe it could enhance but it. i was expecting more yeah yeah um... i just remember being disappointed because i was like a big fincher fan you know i'd seen you know sort of some of it and i'd be like oh i was expecting a bit more from this you know as as a fan of fincher's work it's i don't think it's a bad film by any means like do not get me wrong there's a lot i do quite like you know i mean gary oldman he's good but again he wouldn't have been in my top five for actor. Personally, anyway, you know, I do really like Amanda Seyfried, just in general. I do, and I think she is quite decent in her. She's not in it that, like, a lot of the, like, most of, like the supporting cast is really not in it as much as I was expecting. Uh, like, it really is about Herman Mankiewicz, which I find very interesting. And I love that their interactions are the high point of the film for me. I love every time she's on screen. I think their relationship's very, it's very fun. It's also very, um, uh, there's like, you know, hidden meanings in it. It's, it's, but it's just very fun to see them interacting on screen. Um, I, yeah, I think that's a very like, strong social commentary, which is very like easy to take away, like the cynicism of it but i yeah i i don't necessarily mm. think it's a masterpiece i don't think it's it doesn't really leave me that much to chew on afterwards i'm not thinking about it for days on end but yeah i do mm. think there is a message yeah. to take away. i do think the climactic scene you know the um the party scene which interrupts the, like yeah which is you know what the poster is basically yeah right? yeah that is the thing right i like, think yeah. that's phenomenally done i think that's easily the best scene in the film um I, I love that scene so much but afterwards it was a bit like oh you know that was really good I really enjoyed that one of the best of the year but it's not doesn't necessarily stay with me as much but yeah no I really like it I think yeah. um it was slightly surprising I think because when when it did come out people thought it, oh, it was just like a love letter to Citizen Kane etc etc but no you know the whole you know Charles Dance delivers that um organ grinders monkey and you know kind of 
um, strips Mankovic's agency and kind of lays it out to him that can be replaced. It shows how toxic this industry is. We've seen, you know, that guy who killed himself because he had to um, make those films which were in the Upton Sinclair, the socialist campaign, et cetera, et cetera. And you see the underbelly of Hollywood um, and these characters. And yeah, the organ grinders, monkeys, um, parables, very interesting. I don't, yeah, like just, you know, how he describes um, you only have power because Louis Mayer is giving you the power. And Louis, Louis Mayer, Louis, Louis, not Louis, 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 or whatever, yeah. is only, he's only got power because I'm funding him. And then Mank is just, yeah, a monkey who can be replaced at any moment. Um, but he then kind of turns it back on Hearst by writing this film about him. Um, and I think also it shows... Mm -hmm. Um, kind of the codependency in the industry, how you can't really have like one without the other, it's all interlinked, etc, etc. But, um, and I also think it was really relevant yeah. watching this the other day with all the, you know, actors strikes and everything um, going on. Mm, that was, that was quite yeah. interesting. But um, yeah, what what do you think of mine? Yeah, it's, uh, it's all right. It, uh, yeah, I kind of get the whole like love letter thing, but Honestly, I think this is more of just a way of David Fincher to honor dad, his dad. Yeah. You know, I like I think that's why this I think was made. Really, I don't think the love letter thing. I, th I think it's a it, love I, letter I, in terms of its like aesthetic and its pastiche, but the actual message. Yeah. Oh yeah, with the cinematography yeah. and the you know it's in black and white and all that, which I don't. I actually think it is a very well. I think shot it's very well shot. Film. Like, I I, I really love the cinematography. And it looked I do nice. wish a shot on film. I think it does take it away that it's digital. Like I don't think it truly captures. Yeah, if I I wish they'd really committed to it. I mean, like we are gonna shoot this on film, you know, black and you know, because it it would have really, because it just it does just feel a bit like disingenuous, I guess, like that it's shot on digital. Yeah. Like, if you really want to make this like an old school Hollywood production, you need to fully you know go for it you know just shoot it on you know have it be like you know if it wasn't it could like you know make it like it is the 40 you know like and, and again not to say the cinematography back like because it, it is a very well shot movie it looks great you know it's it's a it's a film where the black and white isn't like oh this is just black and white because you think it look you know it's like fucking belfast or whatever <laughs> you know, like it's just black yeah, and white there is a purpose looks, you know i I find out a lot with black and white cinematography is is a lot of the time it's just like oh this looks cool doesn't it there's no thematic reason you know like I saw poor things yesterday and like there is some black and white cinematography but it doesn't feel unnecessary you know, it's not just like like it, it look it does look fantastic but it is also just sort of like well this is sort of here because you, you know it's it's got more of a reason to it you know and i think and i don't mind that mank is in black and white i like the whole like it has like the script page thing or whatever like where it's got like the oh no it's got like the like interior you know house or whatever you know like it has those kinds of things at, like the top of the screen doesn't it i'm, I'm not misremembering that with, with the screen yeah, where it says, like, you know how on scripts you'll, like, when there's, like, a new setting, it's, like, interior day. Oh, yeah. 
and then yeah. there's like a location on it. It it does it does fully commit to the era it's trying to re- replicate, which is what makes it not being shot on film annoying. But yeah, it you know has it has the it has the fade outs. It has um what are they called cigarette what are they called you know like the mark cigarette cigarette burns they have um yeah like you said they're like the uh, um the screen setting cards whatever you want to call them um yeah so so for you is it just like a it's a good film that you can can appreciate like it's i think as a in terms of production and how it's put together, I can't really fault it that much. I just am not that engaged by the script. And I don't know if that's because, like, well, I don't know what David Finch's dad was like. Is dad a filmmaker or his was dad his was dad a just journalist a who he wrote this because of Pauline Kael's article, which basically said that Mank wrote all of and Kane and Orson Welles had nothing to do with the writing and so I think he was a journalist and he was interested in that and he decided to write the script based on that which is kind of that myth is rebuked people say oh actually Orson Welles did yeah. rewrite several parts of it but that's just the basis of the film yeah yeah and I think the film as well because I, I sort of, how it had been sold to me and what I had noticed, like, it was going to be, like, this whole sort of battle, you know, like, this whole Mank and, and, and Orson Welles were going to have this whole thing about, like, who got... It's like, not. Who, like, sort of got credited on this. But it's really not. And I think maybe that, and I think it's a bit disappointing, because I thought, like, oh, this could be very interesting, you know, this these two guys who both have, like, sort of legitimate claims, arguably, you know, trying to, det- you know, but... I just think the film doesn't, I don't know, just, it wasn't as, it was, it was a bit sort of like, it felt a bit meandering mm-hmm. from, yeah, like, it was just like, it's, it's an enjoyable watch, like, it is, and I think it, there is a lot that you can get from it, like, on a technical level, you know, like, again, cinematography-wise, it's phenomenal, it's, yeah, beautifully shot, the the sets, the you know, the acting, it's all, it's all good, but it's just sort of like, it's not quite, it's just the script. The script lets it down, and for me, that's the thing that matters most personally to me. In in for a film, is like, is this script like? If the script doesn't work, then the film isn't gonna work that much for me. Like the script is like the thing I need to work before anything else. Yeah, you know, like production, design, and and the score and all that, that sort of is sort of secondary to does the script, and I guess the also performances, but the script is like the, the starting point. And if I don't like the script or I'm not engaged by the script, then the film just sort of doesn't work. I th- yeah, I, I can completely understand. I really love the script, personally. I really love the screenplay. But I th- I think structurally, um, like in terms of like an overarching story, it can be a bit... Uh, like leave you wanting but I think the actual like dialogue that interplays between characters is very like it really captures the era um and I think it really you know, like portrays the wit of man like I, I felt like I really understood him as a person and what gravitated people towards him but um no I, I do understand the complaints with that I really like that it's not actually about Orson Welles versus Mank because I think 
when you mm. when you go and sit down to watch Mank, you're told, oh, it's a love letter to cinema. Oh, it's about Orson Welles versus Mank. And it's not about any of those things. It's, you know, on the surface, it looks like a love letter with the pastiche, with the aesthetic, with the cinematography, with the, you know, with all the design, et cetera, et cetera. But it's actually a critique mm-hmm. of the industry, which I think is, it's so cleverly done that it's, you know, it's recreated this entire era and it's, sit down and you get those people who are like oh this is amazing i get to watch a 1940s film again but it's actually a critique of it it's you know it's dressed up as a love letter but it's actually critiquing the exact thing it's replicating um and as for the austin wells um and again that's something i really enjoyed that and i think it relates to citizen and kane like the whole like idea of like the rosebud like what is the bigger um emblematic thing at play is smells about mank it's about the system and i think that really relates to the overarching theme of them being you know the whole like monkey organ grinders monkey where they're just pawns in this bigger mm-hmm. system like we think it's about these two people but they're actually just pawns in this bigger system which they are actors in or who don't that yeah. makes sense. So I, I can understand why it was like frustrating that it wasn't about that, but I also appreciate that it wasn't about that. And also I think it helps the film that it's not about that because if it got into a whole Orson Welles versus Mank, who wrote Mank, you know, um, that would be controversial because it's, you know, it's got the premise that it was written by Mank. But if it got into the whole who wrote what, who wrote this, who wrote mm-hmm. that, I think, you know, then it opens itself up to more criticism from critics. Well, actually, you know, somebody, well, actually, Orson Welles did this. Mank actually did it. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think I think we probably are like roughly on the same level of this where we appreciate it on a technical level and we appreciate the messaging, but it's not really something which sticks with us as much. Um, with the whole meandering yeah. aspect, I completely relate. I also don't really get complaints that Mank's boring though. Um, I mean, people will say Max boring, and then they gave Nomadland best picture. But okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, Nomadland. Yeah, I don't think Nomad. No, Mank, like, even if it leaves you a bit cold on the over overarching story, the actual scenes are very entertaining. Like the interplay, the dialogue between the characters. These characters are very fascinating, very interesting. All the introductions, like you said, they're relegated to very small parts but all the introductions like louis lewis don't is it, i don't know what his name is mayor like you know the mgm guy <laughs> his introduction where he describes the philosophy of mgm and how and then he goes on and says he wants all those all his employees to take a 50 percent pay cut like you get everything you need to know about that character from those five minutes and it's very entertaining to watch that happen and you get everything you need to know about marion davies then you get everything you need to know about william randolph hurst um retail exotics etc etc um so even if the overarching story leaves you a bit cold, it's be like, well, what are we building to? I think the actual scenes themselves are entertaining. Um, and I don't, th- and I, I do get it feeling meandering, but I think each scene reveals, like, unpicks and further, like, dark underbelly to the industry. Like, you mm-hmm. have Mayor saying um, 50% need to take, his employees, employees need to take 50% pay cut. You find out from William Randolph Hearst that um, he's trying to like, launch Marion Davies' career. Then you find out that they're trying to um, fix the election with fake videos where they're using people discrediting Upton Sinclair, but they're actually actors, etc. So you, you know, you 
that goes on, you unpick the levels of corruption until you build to that big climactic scene. Um, if I have one criticism, I think the flashback scenes to um, Hearst Castle and, you know, the industry back in the 1930s with all those characters is much more interesting than the present day of watching Mank trying to write this and Kane. I think that's a bit, mm, it's a bit, I think the flashbacks overshadow it so much that it's, it has a bit of a, um, it gets a bit jarring every time you go back to him just drinking, writing, with his leg broken or whatever. Yeah, I, I think it's, I, I don't think it's a bad film, um, and I do, I, I, I don't, I, I do kind of like when a filmmaker just says, fuck it, I'll make a film that, like, only I want to see. Yeah. You know, like, they're just like, I don't give a shit, I'll just make what I want, you know, I mean, that's what Tarantino's entire fucking career is, basically, and I, and I love Tarantino, don't get me wrong, but a lot of his films are just like, oh, only you really wanted to see this, mate, you know, and it's fine, I don't mind, but, um, you know, I, and I do, you know, I, I, I'm always gonna see whatever David Fincher makes, like, I can't, I'm not gonna, you know, he's... Again, my favorite filmmaker, so I'm going to see what he makes, regard regardless of what it is or what it's about. Um, I'm going to see what he makes. Um, but yeah, I Mank is one of his weakest films. Not a bad film, just I don't see myself watching it that much comparatively to most of his other films. Yeah, no, I. Um, I, I can it, get you it was. It would have been a better best picture winner than Nomadland, though. I want to make that clear. Well, I, it would have been a better choice than Nomadland. Okay. That's not even a question. Nomadland was the worst nominee that year. I think anything would be a better winner than Nomadland. But um, I I just wanted to shout out um the suit. I know I kind of critique the cinematography with it not being shot on film, mm-hmm. but I I I understand the cinematography. I'm glad it won over Nomadland. Um, and I oh at least yeah it's I don't even like what is so interesting like about natural light, like Manx is interesting use of natural light I don't know. but oh, with Manx there's so many framing yeah. there's there's a couple of things I just want to highlight there's the framing of William Randolph Hearst every time Manx bumps into him early on he's um the way he's shot he's on a higher level whether he's actually on a high level or not he's shot you know um. And that kind of, you know, displays the power disparity, how he's the one with the power, Mank is, you know, just a puppet. Um, and I wanted to highlight this, this the the big party, the big costume party, when he, Charles Dance, who, like we said, is really great in this, even though he's barely in it, he's really, really good. And I love him as an actor too. I think he's always very good at, like, those villainous roles where they're kind of disarmingly charming, but they have, like, that dark... Yeah. Um. But that whole scene in the castle, there's the scene where he tells Mank that he um is just where he where he says that parable, which is basically what the entire film is about. And they the way it's shot, Mank is really like shot really like this really small figure in this enormous castle in this very narrow door frame. I think that really captured the film. Like he's just this very small part of a very big um. Know, grand system etc and they really highlighted that with how they shot that scene um and 
yeah I mean I don't really think there's that much I think it's a very simple film to understand like what the messaging is and even if even though it's two hours yeah. ten minutes it feels so much shorter because Gone Girl's like two and a half hours Dragon Tattoo's two and a half hours Benjamin Button's three hours and I feel like it really races <laughs> yeah it's not actually that yeah long. I feel yeah. it genuinely felt like a 90 minute movie to me the only person I'm not that keen on is Tom Burke is Orson Welles he like has him down like I can see he seems like a perfectly yeah. cast because he looks like him I don't really think he nails the voice, and I don't yeah. really think he has the gravitas that Orson Welles had. And it, it felt like a bit underwhelming when he popped yeah. up. I was like, oh, okay. Um, what, what did you, yeah, what did you mean, give out of 10? I gave the film a, a 7 okay. out of 10. Yeah. You're probably you're going to give it a higher rating. I'm I, I gave it... Certain. I gave it... I had it at a 9. I think I'm probably going to accept with an 8. It could be a not. I feel like I want to. I want to rewatch okay. it again already. Like I actually think it's very enjoyable. I don't really know why people think it's so boring, but um, yeah, I think like just like a solid eight for now. Very good. I think I haven't seen two of them, but I would put this fourth out of nine. I'd go. Whoa. I'd go one Gone Girl, right. two Dragon Tattoos, three Social yeah. Network, four Mank, fifth. Zodiac, which I need to rewatch because I haven't watched in ages. Sixth. No, yeah. actually, fifth, Panic Room. I really love Panic Room. I actually really like Panic Room. Um, <laughs> seventh, The Game, and then I don't really like Seven. So it's between Seven and Benjamin Button, but I don't really like Seven. Ooh. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so if I was to rank them, which I'm going to now, I'm going to go from the, the worst to the best. Um, so I'd go Alien Cubed, Panic Room, Mank, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Game, Seven, Gone Girl, Zodiac, The Social Network, and Fight Club. Um, I've got no idea where I'll land on the killer, because that yeah. would, like, go... I think the killer like, will be, like, mid-tier. Eight. Like seven to nine, maybe. I've I've got like no. Idea. Yeah, I, feel, I don't think it'll be like the best of future, no. but it'll probably be like. Yeah, I think it 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 won't be bad. Like yeah. it's like he knows the territory, but I don't think it'll be like a. I think it'll be mid tier. Him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Um. So that's that's it. Uh, thank you for listening. This was so much longer than I thought. I'm so it would sorry. Be. That was that was my fault with Gone Girl. You it's, let me talk too long. Thank you for joining us for this one. Thank you for joining me this week, Sasha. If you want to do this again at some point, the door is always open. Thank you. If you are interested at any point, this has yeah been very long. But last week's we only recorded like the last the first half. We only recorded for like an hour and a half, really. So like this, I think E calls out. To, this will be much longer. Um, but I hope you've enjoyed listening. I man, it says we've been recording for about three hours, <laughs> so we've been recording for a f- long time. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed. Check out all my other previous episodes. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. And I will be discussing Killer when it comes out in the review of the year. Um, it should be fun because. I've, I have burnt myself out of new movie releases, though, to be honest. But I'm still going to see it because 
censure. Uh, do you have any final things you want to say, Sasha? Um, no, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Um, apologies in advance to yeah. anybody listening for my Gone Girl um, monologues. <laughs> um, Very long, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> Uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed. It's it's a it's a much longer one this week, so hopefully it makes it, the last couple have been a bit shorter. And uh, I'll see you all in the next one. Goodbye. <laughs>